Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we look back at our last two weeks of brews and ask, could Brian make the Citadel work? Did Arun put Omnath in touch with its sensitive side? Is Strixhaven even out yet? After that, we'll do something new this week. Answer our first ever listener question. Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. This is Serial Visions. Welcome to episode 17 of the Serum Visions podcast. Coming to you from exile with three time counters on me, I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me is the author of the Strixhaven Times best-selling Coda, Vociferous Podcasting and How to End It, Zach Ryle. How are you, Zach? Well, Vociferous Podcasting is a blight upon our people, and you can absolutely learn everything you need to know by heading down to your local Barnes & Noble, or even better, ordering on Amazon.com for $17.99, and, and uh, you know, I, I can't give away all the secrets to ending this scourge, uh, but suffice to say, it is the worst uh, plague of our time, um, <laughs> notwithstanding anything that's actually going on in the world right now. Uh, I haven't left my heavily, uh, heavily comfied bunker here um just did my laundry and did the the sheets on your bed man doing the sheets on your bed is just one of those those small kindnesses you can do every couple of weeks it's just <laughs> it's just glorious it nice seats nice sleep quality uh i had some comfy streams yesterday playing some outrageously new brews which we'll talk about i even played some uh strixhaven limited on arena and i must apologize to Mark rosewater and the magic team because the set may not scratch the itch that I want it to, but Strixhaven um, really plays in limited like a Instance and Sorceries Matter set, and that's awesome. Because I've played a lot of limited formats over time, uh, always a lot of fun, and what I wanted out of this of this set is I was like, I, I want to I be able to build a deck that has like almost no creatures in it. And like the only way I make creatures is with instant sorceries, and God bless it that that green blue deck can do that. Uh, even the blue red deck can do that. So uh, kudos to them. Awesome new set for limited. So check that out if you're ex- interested in if you're interested in fun. I'm interested in fun. So also joining us is the man teaching Zimone Quandrick's prodigy to do Uro impressions, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? I'm definitely feeling pretty good. I mean, for the most part, I'm definitely feeling a little Uro blues. Uh, you know, Uro is just such a one-of-a-kind card, very unique, and he really helps me beat Prowess and beat aggro matchups. And now I don't beat Prowess and aggro matchups. I don't, really, I don't actually beat many matchups these days. That's a little unfortunate. I've tried with Zimone. Uh, you know, I actually did put her in a list, and Zach also ran the list, and she was okay if she's unanswered, but oftentimes she'll be answered, and other times she just kind of sits there. Uh, so, you know, definitely a long ways to go with the Uro impressions. I do got to mention, you know, like, I definitely relate more. I, I think my color identity is blue-green, uh, but I relate much more to the Simic Mad Scientist trope uh, than I do to, you know, like, the Math Wiz. I can definitely see, you know, just, like, why, you know, kind of the one and the same thing. But I do, I prefer, you know, strange biology to math. Uh, so 
but you know, it's it's pretty interesting. It's a cool a cool take on blue green, most definitely. I do appreciate that the set um, feels different a little bit than the guilds. You know, they you mm-hmm. know, I, I've seen some people say, oh, this is like they they bent the color pie things like that. And it's like, nah, not exactly. No, they really they they really didn't. I mean, all of these color combinations have the ability to do what they're doing in this set, and they're um, encouraging things that you don't normally expect out of those color combinations. So, for example, blue-red is almost always a tempo deck in limited, and in this limited format, it's actually a lot closer to a control deck with a bunch of big, powerful payoffs at the end, and uh, the smaller creatures are much more defensive or at least there are a subset of them that are defensive that are great to draft. Um, and by counterpoint, the, the black-white deck, instead of being a bleeder deck, is like the aggro deck. Um, so it, it's really cool. You just need to go in and look at these archetypes as what they are instead of what you think they might be or should be. Um, and you can uh, really have a blast doing it. And then also on the, on the, on the flavor side, I love these two color combinations getting to have a different flavor um, than before. Um, you know, the is it are cool, but I'm, I, you know, I, I have a very blue-red streak to myself, but I'm definitely not a scientist. Uh, <laughs> I would have loved to be one, but I just didn't have the tenacity in that way. But I managed to become a performing musician, etc. Mm-hmm. And turns out that those people are there too. And Magic doesn't normally put a lot of artists and musicians on the cards, and now they had a reason to, because we're at school. And uh, I, I know these drama drama kids. They're great. Yeah, I kind of... That's awesome. On that, too, I do want to mention that, like, especially for Lorehold, you know, just, like, if you were red, like, if your card was red-white, like, you know, you had Boros, like, you know, kind of the butthole stickler, right? Just, like, a very... Boros is very... I feel <laughs> like in Ravnica is very one-dimensional. Oh, Righteous Fury. Oh, you know, we're the good guys. We're going to be aggro about it. Like in Lorehold, you know, you're Indiana Jones, you know, you're about discovery and it's sick. You know, I think Indiana Jones is a big upgrade to uh, Stickler. Especially when when Indiana Jones is an elephant. Oh, yeah. Double true. Yeah. Uh, I will say this is the first limited set that has come out since the pandemic started. That makes me like extra sad that the LGS isn't open. I used to draft, you know, once or twice a week, uh, sometimes more. And the previous sets that have been released i've been kind of like yeah they would be fun you know i like the draft environment i like the the feel at the lgs my particular lgs uh is a very heavy on drafting and whatnot um and so there was usually a draft going on every night and like you know i i enjoyed it for the people and the environment and everything this is the first set where i'm a little bit sad that it's not in paper play because i want to actually play the set in a limited environment fair fair yeah um I mean, especially with this one, um, the learn and lesson mechanic are very much, I think, not intended to be played in constructed formats. Um, They just didn't push them, which is fine. I understand why, and I understand that it could have been dangerous, and maybe it wasn't even something that was, like, realistically possible without breaking it. And that's, that's, you know, some of these things are fine. Um, Exert was a similar mechanic. The only the only card with Exert that's ever been constructed playable is Glorybringer, uh-uh. uh, but all of the I'm other on, ones. On crap crasher, on crop crasher. Oh yes, yes, combo combo master on crop crasher. But the point is, through history, there have been um, more and more of these mechanics that uh, are very much like at a limited power level. But lesson and learn are freaking awesome when you've got Magecraft cards and just other reasons to get paid off. For instance, in sorceries, it's it's really cool. Um, Sweet. So, 
Yeah. But limited is not the only format that these cards are making their way into. Oh. They're also making their way into the format we're most concerned with, though not exclusively. Vintage. Modern. Oh. <laughs> vintage are there cards making into vintage there are um that blue red card that i thought was kind of bad um i think that one's getting played in vintage and i saw a canister going off about it in modern um it's uh it's like um what is it called shoot it's it's like a phoenix card um there's a magecraft guy too i know one of the I am actually 1v1 or something is a huge vintage streamer, vintage player, and he's been working on yes. a Magecraft build with, I think, I don't even know which one it is, but it's the Magecraft uh, make a treasure token thing. Magecraft, oh, yes, yes, uh, the uncommon, the dwarf, yeah. It's a three and a red for a 2-2, and whenever you cast a spell, you make a treasure token, and he gets plus one power for each treasure token you have. But the, yeah. Um, the card I was talking about, I'm trying to... Yeah, yeah, that's it. Expressive Iteration. Blue, red, sorcery, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, one of them on the bottom of your library, and exile one of them. You may play the exiled card this turn. So you have three options. One that you're not going to be able to cast, period. It's going on at the bottom of your library. One that goes in your hand. You can cast that later at your at your discretion. And one that goes into exile, you must cast this turn, but you can cast it this turn. Or play so it's it. It's kind of a two-mana draw, If two. it's a land. Yeah, yeah, or play it if it's a land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was probably one of the biggest things that I wasn't paying enough attention to, is that if you play this on turn three or four, you could just put a land in off of it. Um, I... I'm not exactly sure why this is like a, a deal, but I, I shouldn't pay more attention to it because it's uh, seems reasonable at least. Yeah, I mean, actually, <laughs> this kind of, I mean, I, maybe we'll talk about this later, but this card kind of, uh, you know, I think in an Arayo shell could be pretty interesting. Like, I, I can't stop playing bad cards, and especially like if you can get pick up a mox off this for free, that's interesting, and kind of fits into this whole thing that Texas Toff, uh, one of our Discord members, uh, mentioned to me. I think I might have also mentioned it too previously that Lava Dart and Arayo plus Emery is kind of interesting where Lava Dart's that extra spell uh, and if you mill it with Emery it's also like a free spell you mill uh, and you know Lava Dart's also a very good card that is I've been wrecked by Lava Dart and it'd be very enjoyable to wreck some other people with Lava Dart so you know this is something that I'm thinking about and haven't quite pulled the trigger on yet but I mess with some lists and you know every time I mess with these Arayo lists you look at it you're just like Am I really brave enough to play this pile of weak cards? Oftentimes not. So other than uh, the cards we've been talking about there, let's just talk about some quick challenge results, um, and and it'll be easier to jump into which cards are making an effect off of those. So the uh, Saturday, the April 17th challenge, we've got uh, which was won by Dredge, um, and that's easy to note there that Dredge has gotten a big boost um, from Thrilling Discovery, uh, which functions as sort of uh, copies of Cathartic Reunion 5 through 8. Um, I played this on stream, uh, I think literally this list. Um, so that it's a, a white and a red, and uh, you gain two life, and then you may discard two cards, and if you do, you just you, you draw three cards. Um, so it replaces itself on the same rate as Cathartic uh, Reunion, um, puts the dredgers in your graveyard, allows you to dredge with them. So that's... I mean, just fantastically powerful. And as I said on uh, this week's episode of Faithless Brewing, where I got to guest star, um, it 
allows the dredge deck to mulligan less and have a much higher level of consistency to have those big dredge turns over and over and over again. And it's not surprising to see dredge uh, pop off to the top of the metagame um, in that challenge. Golgari Elves made second place, and I believe this was the one where this person tweeted that they, they picked this deck about five minutes before that, that this tournament went live and just ripped their way all the way to the top with a powerful, proactive black green elves deck oh, yeah. that has uh I, be I believe nothing in particular that's new um I mean, elves is just super strong especially if you wind up dodging most of the lava dart and even bold matchups you know like mm. i've <laughs> i've been railroaded by elves many a times and i expect it to continue yeah, because yeah, i don't play too. interaction like if you don't bolt that turn one heritage druid and then like they just you know could turn to nettle sentinel into other nonsense it just goes downhill very quickly I feel like Elves would be a good matchup for you, since you're always packing the EE. E I mean, honestly, EE is just not fast enough. Like, you know, even, like, yeah. best case scenario is you've got EE on one, you're blowing it up on two, you know, you've essentially taken two turns just to do it. And, you know, maybe you get a two for one if you're lucky, but then they're just so good at rebuilding. They're also, CMCs are very diversified, where at one they have Heritage or Nettle Sentinel, and then, which, you know, those are definitely must-kills part of the combo. On two, they have that new... Uh, the war master yeah, the, the war master that makes the dudes on three they have elvish arch druid which also you know sometimes you kill their one drops and they just elvish arch druid and like cast something big and you know it's yeah ee is not you know maybe if you have like bolts in ee then yeah okay maybe we're talking but most of my decks just they're only rely on ee and relying on ee is not a great way to beat elves this also you know you don't have the fast man that we're like and previously when you had kinnon and and when you know the decks played kinnon is the end uh, you could, you know, you could, on turn two, you could play E for one and pop it. Like, you don't really lose any tempo because you've got so much mana and nothing matters. But now that there's no Uro, Kinnon becomes much worse. And it's just, you know, you're just not fast enough to pop the EE and get good value before Elves just runs you over. Mm -hmm. Moving on down here, um, we've got uh, Eldrazi Tron, pretty stock there. Um, Blue Moon splashing white in the sideboard for timely reinforcements. Talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, Grixis Luris coming out of the uh, the woodwork here with Aspiring Spike piloting it to a, uh, I believe it was 7-0 or 8-0 in the Swiss. Just an unbelievable record um, into the the uh, immediate loss in the quarters there. Classic. Um, but just, a, yeah, exactly. Just just like just like our, our boy Jiggy Wiggy. Um, it's, it's a tough one. When you're that lucky all the way up, you feel like you can't sustain it through the top mm -hmm. eight. And, uh, and uh, Spike... Of course, showing off that uh, Jiggy was correct to lose at that point. <laughs> um, uh, there was a Jun Luris deck in sixth place. They, they were playing a sideboard Kaya's Guile, so they're kind of splashing into a fourth color. Um, this seems fairly necessary in the world of uh, more heavy dredge being uh, available to players. Um, the new Boros Prowess deck in seventh place with the... Um, Lumamancer, clever Lumamancer. So this is one white for a zero one with Magecraft, plus two plus two. So that's whenever you cast or copy an instant or a sorcery. This is a build that is not playing a lot of nonsense. It's just very um, sort of straightforward. Playing Lavadars, playing Swiss Spears, playing Soulscar Mages. No Niv Magus Elementals. No Storm spells. Nothing crazy of that nature. Luris in the sideboard. So just uh, incredible burst potential and um, Luris to grind out, and then Classic Burn in 8th place. Um, the most important thing to note of all of the other decks here is it's just, like, 100% diversity. There's, like, 
more blue red prowess but then there's like jeskai um grinding breach which i'm sure jiggy is probably excited about i saw canister streaming this this week uh there was a hammer time there was esper control there was jun shadow there was niv mizzet there was rock there was uh timu playing blue moon with two emeracles and two through the breach um heliod company humans red green scape shift and uh, the niv magus version of the prowess deck with lumancer in 27th place can I can I so, just take a, a moment here to shout out uh, Grixicism at twenty sixth place there with uh, the Niv Mizzet first turn negator. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yep, 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 yep. Um, the highest placing Niv deck was in sixteenth place with uh, Wambo Combo, and uh, Grixicism, of course, um, performing almost exactly as well. I mean, I, I would imagine that it was only one win in difference from sixteenth place to twenty seventh. Um, or 26th, so uh, awesome job, Grixicism, great brewer on the Faithless Brewing um, Discord. Uh, I always, think he hangs out in ours as well. I believe he does. Nib yeah, crew, let's go! Yeah, baby! Uh, probably benefiting from that sweet primer that Pyganti put together. Uh, free access to that. For, there's a uh, full, in-depth Nib mizzet primer, and of course, Pyganti is iterating uh, and uh, working on all sorts of Niv Mizzet builds right now. He uh, actually took from me the 81 card trophy leader, Jig. So oh, you no. should be interested in this. Yeah, uh, with a version of the Niv Mizzet that was playing Through the Breach and Emrakul and <laughs> Prismari Command. Nice. Um, so before we get to challenge number two, there were two um, Blue Moon lists here. The one that was in the top eight was suspiciously vanilla. No Through the Breach. No, no, nothing. Nothing interesting about this. It was just like Rals and Snapcaster Mages. But they were playing some copies of this new card, Prismari Command. Um, this was one of the first cards previewed from this set. So uh, one blue, red, choose two. It's an instant. Uh, you can shock anything you want. You can destroy an artifact. So it's got two of the modes exactly the same as Coligan's Command. But then there's the two quote-unquote blue modes. Um, I guess I'll refer to them as. Um, one of them is target player creates a treasure. Uh which is actually super useful um, for reasons I'll get into in a second. And uh, target player draws two and discards two. The reason the create a treasure is useful is if you get Veil of Summered, uh, if one of your modes is I would like a treasure, you're still going to get your treasure. Um, whereas if you had a single target and they veiled you, you would lose the whole spell if that line was you gain a treasure. So that's good. This card in particular is good, but... At the time of this tournament, it was bugged in such a way that if you targeted your opponent, they would discard two cards and you would draw two cards. Um, we do not know. I have not heard any confirmation or any anyway uh, about how this card was being used at the time of this tournament. Um, I don't think there was any big fuss over people abusing this bug, and it has since been fixed. I mean, so um, I just want to so mention... That on April 21st, a Prismari command costed 50 tickets online, and today they cost 20. Uh, so yeah. that 30 that 30 ticket price drop over two days is suspiciously correlated with the bug fix. Yep. And yep. I will um, just say I was I think actually <laughs> I filed for a lot of compensation this last week because there are four individual times my Prismari opponent. Uh, it was actually, it's only if you deal two damage to your opponent and then make yourself draw to discard two. That's how you trigger the glitch. Ah. So it's, it's not just like random. It's you have to, you know, you have to choose the proper modes. Uh, but this happened to me four times. And <laughs> okay. uh, three mana, 
you know, four for one is like pretty nutsos. Yeah, yeah, that that's uh, that does not sound fun. Um, so anyway, has been fixed. Uh, as have legendary sorceries. So for anyone who's excited to play uh, Karn's Temporal Sundering or um, what's what's Urza's Ruinous Blast, uh, you can now do so. That was in the same patch. Um, they were not functioning for a little while. Um, so hopping over to the uh, Sunday challenge, um, won by Melton. So finally a uh, win for this wonderful player of five-color BTL scapeshift decks playing this uh, new-ish version. I actually did play it on stream at least two weeks ago or so. This is four Elvish Reclaimers in the main deck with your four Flagstones of Trocare. So the nice thing about this is you kind of squeeze your opponent in requiring them to keep uh, removal for the early game in addition to having this powerful mid-range and control deck um, that can pull out kills as soon as it's put seven lands into play because of scapeshift, but also has a co kind of strong control backbone. Um, and, I mean, Elvish Reclaimer is just a beast. Even though um, Field of the Dead is gone now, in a Valakut, um able deck, it's very good. Valky is still a reasonable card to have in modern. Um, not crazy or over the top or anything like that, but just a good, solid threat. Um, either for five mana or even straight up casting it for seven mana, which you can do in this deck. So kudos to Melton has been doing work on this deck for like at least a month. Uh, Nasif also uh, top forward yesterday's modern challenge with a very with a list based off of it, and I think he made a couple of his yes. own changes. But you know this deck seems like it might finally have a good, you know they might have figured out a good shell for it, and it's probably going to be around for a while because Elvish Reclaimer is kind of a messed up magic card. Yeah, it's very good, but in a very honest, very sort of reasonable way, um, especially without Field of the Dead. Field of the Dead made it kind of goofy. Um, same with Primeval Titan. These decks sort of settling into a place where I think people are comfortable with losing to them. Um, talking about the middle size fish, though, in second place was Black-White Stoneblade, and it feels like this happens every time we have a new metagame. Is this not... Do you guys not remember that it was, like, week one after Valky, the Valky Cascade deck was banned? It was, like, Black-White Stoneblade in second place, and it's like, wait, what? Why? Um, so, this, this also looks um, a little bit more taxes heavy than a lot of the the normal stone blade lists that i feel like i see like i don't i don't feel like i normally see thalia uh maybe i'm crazy here i don't feel like i normally see aether vial or flicker wisp in, oh in some of oh those oh this is the actually you're right this is black white and taxes yeah this is black white taxes good call so yeah, it's not playing thought not seer but that's actually a great point so um calling this black white uh stone forge is dishonest uh i apologize for that just oversight on my side hey, it's got pvdr in it yes yes it does newcomer um elite spellbinder three and a white for a three one flyer very important uh when it enters the battlefield you look at a target opponent's hand you can exile a non-land card from it and for as long as that card remains exiled its owner may play it but at a extra cost of two generic mana which is really good in modern, it turns out, because that can be the window where you can kill them. Uh, if you choose a non-creature spell, your Thalia attacks will still apply. So um, you could be, you know, making their bring to light cost eight mana on the front side. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. It makes a lot of sense to me that this would, would get there in a meta full of, you know, prowess and... Um, I guess more more controlling type strategies. You know, we're seeing yep, yep. 
see an interaction, you can attack the interaction. That makes makes a lot of sense. Yep, and then you've got the heavy white. Um, they've got uh, remorseful clerics and rest in peace in the sideboard to be able to deal with dredge. So, kudos yep. to uh, Kiko on that one. And then uh, just quickly moving through the rest of this top eight, we've got uh, Heliod Company. This is the by far the best um, performance of the weekend by Company, but Company did not do super well on this weekend in general. Uh, another dredge deck in fourth place. In fifth place, super spicy. We've seen this one uh, a couple of times, but not usually doing this insanely well. The Self Mill Storm Herald dredge deck with Eldrazi Conscription. <laughs> and uh, I think it's like Gigantid Form, I want to say, is the name of the card they're using. They're not using Colossification. Uh, they're using... Um, <laughs> is it Gigant? No, Prodigious Growth. Enchanted Creature gets plus 7, plus 7, and has Trample. Um, so, wow. Wild, wild stuff there. And then um, uh, Jun, Shadow, Crabvine, and Yogmoth combo close out this top 8. So almost an entirely different top 8 from the previous. Insane. Um, going through the rest of this... Um, the rest of this challenge, there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, Twiddlestorm in 24th place. Anything you guys uh, see there that's super exciting? I mean, I'm a big fan of the Yogmoth list in general. Uh, I still think or feel like Yogmoth has more to show us. Maybe maybe with Modern Horizons 2 we'll see something. I feel like it's just a card away from like being busted. I don't know. It seems like it. You know, it's a it's a pretty powerful effect. Um, to be able to pay a life and, and sacrifice a creature. And, you know, sometimes sacrificing creatures can be good, uh, as we've seen with the, the existing build already. What card would it printed would, you know, bust Yagmoth? I agree that it's a super powerful card, but it seems totally at home in this kind of shell now, where, you know, you have oh, just absolutely a, whole bunch of, a whole bunch of value creatures. You're able to, they come back with Persist. Like, maybe I guess the more Persist creatures would be pretty powerful. Uh, but, you know, it seems... You know, it just seems like it's super well positioned right now, and just especially with all the bolts and everything. You know, every time I face this Yagmoth deck, I feel like I'm playing Whack a Mole, where you, yeah. your removal is just totally useless. You have to save it for Yagmoth, and you know they beat your face down, and then they Eldritch Evolution, their uh, Stranglewood Geist, they grab Yagmoth, and they're just like beating the crap out of you. And you, while well, you have like you know your bolts aren't doing anything, EE doesn't even work well. I, I I totally agree. I don't know. It feels like um, maybe it, maybe saying that it's it's a card away from being broken isn't exactly right. I feel like it's a card away from going from you know sort of tier two to tier one. Maybe it needs another persist creature or uh, just I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm surprised I don't see more of it, and I'm unsurprised when it does pop into the top eight. Um, that's well put. I, I think that's a really good statement. That is probably one card away from being tier one. I think it just needs the right metagame. They just need the right set of matchups because there's just a bunch of decks that are just totally hopeless against it. Um, and so, you know, if, if you get lucky with your matchups, you can just tear your way up to the top eight or, or even up to the even higher than that. Um, it is a deck that's very vulnerable in a couple of ways. Um, its mana base is terrible oh, especially yeah. against Man the blood moon rough um and if if they're forced to mulligan 
once or twice, which the deck is pretty solid, so it doesn't normally have to, but I've seen some just some bad runs of variants. It just doesn't have the density of effects, and it just falls apart. Um, it's kind of like Tron, where it has like a lot of redundancy on what it wants, but it just needs a certain density of stuff, and it, it doesn't have the ability like Tron or Titan to like really make a five-card hand work a lot of the time. The, the five-card hand will just tend to be a little bit weak on either the mana or redundancy on Eldritch Evolution and Court of Calling. Because a lot of the time, that's like, you you can take either... You can you can either like try to kill their creatures, but they'll be able to evolution for what they need to fix it, and then Court of Calling after that. Or if you're a control deck or, or you have discard, you can take some of those things, but then they're just going to draw another one because they just have enough redundant effects that they, they tend to play through pretty well i mean 12 yogmoths is a lot of yogmoths to draw to um and as soon as they get one into play they draw like five cards immediately and you're like oh uh kill your yogmoth they're like that's fine i got more yeah yep. it's pretty I'm interesting because right it's uh, it's like one of those toolbox creature decks but it has pretty good matchups against the aggro decks which you know i think it's kind of the inverse where normally like if you have a creature toolbox deck you're pretty vulnerable to removal and like you know the aggressive starts etc but having all those redundant things like even if you multiply you know just like if you have a keep a hand with like three persist or two persist creatures and three lands you know if you're facing an aggro deck like you're pretty happy to see turn one goblin guide you're just gonna chump it until you draw what you need yeah uh, well and i think that uh the other side is if you talk to a lot of yagmoth players you'll hear that um, it isn't, they say that it isn't a creature toolbox deck primarily, right? Like a lot of people say that it is actually an aggro deck at its heart that just happens to have this combo mm. sort of toolbox yep, angle. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I've played it a little bit. Uh, I actually have it in paper here on my desk. This is what I've been putting together. Uh, cause I thought it was more toolbox oriented. Um, and so I was talking to some people who were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of it as an aggro deck first. You want to be beaten down with your, your young wolves and your strangle root geists. Um, so yeah, you know, I think we're in a good spot for aggro decks in general right now. Uh, obviously we're seeing a lot of prowess and whatnot. And so, leaning a little bit hard towards being proactive and aggressive seems like the the right place to be right now yeah i think a really good comparison for what this deck isn't is the uh if you look at something like the naya kiki cord deck or even the four color omnath kiki cord decks um those have a combo that just ends the game on the spot every time if your opponent can't interact with it and the yogmoth deck if their life total is low enough they actually can't do that mm -hmm. um because of the, the way it interacts, Yogmoth requires you to pay life on every cycle of your combo, and so you need two undying creatures, and one of them has to be Grolf's Messenger. If both are Grolf's Messengers, it's a lot more lenient on your own life total as the Yogmoth player, uh, but if you don't, then you're sinking a lot of, or a reasonable amount of life into each sort of cycle of it. But what it does have, as Brian's pointing out, is the mid-range sort of mid-aggressive mid strategy of just playing Young Wolf, Strangle Root Geist, and beating down with them with backup you know, sort of life gain and, or life drain and the fact that your opponent's removal sucks for them to play. It's just like a huge tempo loss um, is really good. Anytime you're, you're playing a control deck, Esper, or anything like that, it's really difficult to... Um, keep up interaction for them going for their Yogmoth, which is going to crush you with cards and also just not dying to the random little dudes beating you down <laughs> so 
it's uh, it's definitely an experience um, versus the Kiki Core deck, which has a lot more uh, one of tutor targets because they're playing 80 cards. They have more room to do that. Um, but also, they can play a lot more um, uh, or a lot less aggressive overall because their combo is just going to kill you in one shot and they have the ability to set it up um, a little bit differently. Anywho... Um, there is a, uh, 5-0 deck dump, which is a little down in pure numbers. We've, we've got 55 decks in it. However, I would say, um, there's, you know, some just absolutely bonkers stuff popping up. Um, and while we could talk through a lot of the different stuff that's, that's in here, um, a lot of it is, um, uh, decks that people saw in the challenge and then they're, um, repeating, um, some 5-0s with them. But, uh... Two decks, most of note. Um, one is playing the boy himself, Cody, the Vociferous Codex. Um, oh, yeah. So for anyone who does not know, this uh, three-mana, one-four legendary artifact creature construct, uh, it says you can't play, or you can't cast permanent spells. Yikes. Uh, but it has an ability that says four-mana tap, add white, blue, black, red, green. When you cast your next spell this turn, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile an instant or sorcery card with lesser mana value. Until end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Put each other card exiled this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. So what are people trying to do with this, guys? Good question. I don't know. This is, I think we talked about this, or Faithless Brewing talked about this, but this was the num they asked their, their listeners, you know, what's Hakkari most hyped for? And somehow this one won. Uh, and yeah, I have no, I, I, I don't know. Enlighten us, Zach. This is, you know, I'm very impressed someone figured this card out. I thought about it for like 10 minutes, and it's like, well, uh, I'll just leave it to the people with the bigger brains. Well, they're doing exactly what uh, the guys of Faithless Brewing posited. They're casting one mana spells um, to cascade through their deck, essentially, with Cody's uh, ability. And that's going to get them a null mana spell, or a zero mana spell. Um, in particular, in this deck, they're playing uh, three Ancestral Vision, four Crashing Footfalls, four Restore Balance. Um, and this deck is also an As Foretold Electro-Dominance deck, so this is a, an Electro As Foretold deck. They had posited the way to go with this was Living End. Um, this person has decided to go in this direction instead. Uh, I don't know how, uh, I don't know why, but they managed to make it to the 5-0, and so um, kudos to uh, player Silence Song, Silence Song, Silence Song, um, because uh, they, they clearly had something happen here that was just, just beautiful. They've got the Greater Gargadon, so they can uh, do the whole Restore Balance combo where you sacrifice all your stuff and your opponent goes to basically nothing. Um, and uh, they've got uh, Rhinos popping off all over the place. Um, so Living End is another potential way to uh, use Cody. Uh, I haven't seen someone do that yet, but I'm sure it will pop up. Whether or not they make the 5-0, that's going to be the uh, more interesting question. There is a um, four-color or whatever we refer to the Living End deck in this 5-0, but no, no new cards, I don't think, have uh, appeared in that. But the deck that I'm a little more excited about. Did either of you catch me streaming this sucker last night? Because if you didn't, my good god. Um, Pygonti has taken out this deck and tried tweaking it in different directions. Uh, I'm just over the moon about how cool it is, how successful it seemed to be so far. So this is um, from Twitch streamer 
Freak You Nasty. That's the letter U. This is uh, Velomachus. Um, what did I call it? Polywars. Yeah. My man, the Elder Dragon, coming back strong. When Velom. So, seven mana, five red white for a 5 5 legendary creature, Elder Dragon. Let's go. Flying Vigilant Haste. Great keywords. When Velomachus Lorehold attacks, look at the top seven cards of your library. You know, I think Winota is six, so this is seven. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to Velomachus Lorehold's power from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And you know what goes better than uh, free casting free spells? Then time walks. Yeah, so, I mean, when you first read Velomachus, you're thinking like, oh, I want to cast some big badass spells. But then you need them to be converted mana cost equal to or less than the power, which is five. Um, so no, you know, Magma Opus, no, um, what is it, Timber, Turn Timber Symbiosis, none of that nonsense. And so uh, Freaky Nasty figured out that, you know what's insane with this? Time Warp is exactly five. And Savor the Moment is a three-mana sorcery for one blue-blue that is take an extra turn after this one. You skip the untap of that turn. But it turns out that Velomachus not only has haste, but also has vigilance. So if you hit a Savor the Moment, your creature's not tapped. So you get another turn, um, and while your lands won't untap, your dragon doesn't need to untap. It is untapped. He's ready to go and possibly cascade into another uh, extra turn. And that other extra turn is going to get you to a point where now you've done 10, 15, maybe all 20 damage of your opponent's life total. Um, and so the question is, what are we going to do to get this into play uh, at a reasonable pace? Um, through the Breach doesn't work, because if we're planning on taking multiple turns, that's going to sacrifice your dragon at the end of the first one. So that's no good. Um, but instead, we've got Indomitable Creativity. So it's X, red, red, red. Destroy X target artifacts and or creatures. And then uh, the, the player who owned those is going to go through their deck until they find a artifact or creature and put it directly onto the battlefield. Um, this has been used as extra copies of Transmogrify um, in, in certain lists. Um, the reason it's not we're not using Transmogrify in this list is because in addition to being able to use dwarves off of Dwarven Mine, this is a Dwarven Mine all-mountain mana base, you've got the new Prismari command, which in addition to being able to dig you to the combo pieces you want, generates a treasure token that you can use Indomitable Creativity on, or you can use the treasure token to catapult your mana. So, holy synergy. Um, and then because of all the turn spells already in here, there's four Ren and Six, so you've got the classic sort of taking turns shell as a backup plan. I wonder, you know, like Indomitable Creativity's been popping up a fair amount, even, you know, there were Titan Shift decks that were playing it with the all-mountain mana base, so you could like turn three or four, turn four Indomitable Creativity, put out your prime time, grab a bunch of things. Did anybody predict it being, you know, like such a good card, like so powerful? I mean, it's been around for a while. I guess it was really Dwarven Mind that set it over the top. Thanks, Throne of Eldrain. Uh, if we look at the whole history of Indomitable Creativity prices, um, which I usually like to use as a sort of 
you know, it's a good metric for how good this card seems overall. Uh, about three weeks after Theros Beyond Death, the card spiked from 0.7 uh, dollars for uh, paper to three dollars, so that's a huge gain. Uh, MTGO is a little more volatile, um, but in the same area, it spiked from 0.1 tickets to uh, 1.1 ticket. So it never got to a hugely high level, although this is a rare in a standard set that was um, being drafted on Magic Online. Mm. Kaladesh is pre-Arena being released, so people were still in play- playing plenty of limited, so there are lots of copies that were opened. Um, but still, like going up 10 times in value for that period, uh, not surprising. Um, since then, it's had a bunch of ups and downs, as a lot of Magic Online cards have. So it's kind of like Transmogrify, and it's like the best in class if this kind of thing is worth doing Mm -hmm. um frequently it's not but putting an (laughs) emrakul into play on turn four or even turn three is so good it can't always be wrong um so there's also ren and sixes in this deck which gives it the backup um plan of just the sort of taking turn strategy where you get your ren and six emblem you retrace time warp over and over and over again and win the game that way. Um, it has growth spirals in it. So on turn two, you can put a third land into play. Turn four, you get your dwarf off your fourth land, and bang, you cast your Indomitable Creativity, get your dragon and go, which I did last night against a Jun player. Uh, they had a poor little Tarmogoyf in play, and my dragon came in and just killed their Planeswalker, who was standing behind them, and the little 1-2 Tarmogoyf had nothing to say about it. Um <laughs> Uh, and there's a couple of Teferi Time Ravelers in here. So if you want uh, to see the gameplay, and if you want an in-depth talk with myself, and uh, Freak was in the chat last night at the end of the stream um, about maybe other directions you could take this deck, maybe massages, maybe tweaks uh, you would want to make to this deck list, go there because there were a lot of ideas flying around. Um, and I think a lot of ideas people have are great, that's awesome, but there's a lot of roadblocks. Um, between those ideas and where this deck is, say if you wanted to play Scapeshift in this deck, you're already on all mountains. It seems like a, a seems like a no-brainer, right? But there's actually a lot of things between there and here that make that not not the same level of idea as you might think it is. There, there'd be a lot more structural change that you need to do. Um, but this list is rock solid, and I would not be surprised to see it doing very well in a pre- preliminary this week or even next week. What was challenge. your record, Zach? Um, I four one nice. and it was not it was not hard, um, and the one match I lost was to Etron Master uh, Tunneling Cat, uh, so she just demolished me in uh, two games. Um, she had good hands, but also you know the, the, she's one of the best players out there. She knew exactly what I was doing already um, from the beginning of game one almost. So uh, she had her removal ready for Velomachus, playing main deck dismember as the Etron players are, and knew that I was going to be going for this five five dragon. So just had the interaction up, uh, even though I put two dwarves into play. So I indomitable creativity both my dwarves. So if the piece of removal she had had was warping whale instead uh, or a spatial contortion, I would have been okay. But it was a dismember, so they always, my dragon went down. They always have it. Yeah, exactly. This is the first list I've seen in the past couple of weeks that I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing tonight. Like, yeah, I, nice. yeah. this is exciting. Yeah. This is this um, got the, the the creative juices and the energy flowing again. I'd been feeling a little uh, stagnant, and it's right. got a red um, six. I, I'm feeling yeah. 
I'm feeling just absolutely stoked about this deck. And just generally speaking, I would like to take an aside to say Prismari Command. I detailed what that card does before. This card is way better than I thought it was um, for a whole bunch of different decks, but I think specifically Jiggy um, can maybe espouse his love for it. I certainly can. Um, so one of the things people were saying was, this is just going to be cool against Command a lot of the time. You've got the Shock Mode, you've got the Shatter Mode, you know, whatever. And those other modes, eh. Uh, it's, it's great that Blue-Red has access to that effect in a way that they can main deck it now, uh, but that's nothing exciting. Uh, and I think that was... I, I may have, you know, been along that same line, but that's just not true. Because one, creating this treasure token is a big deal. Um, getting an extra mana is huge. And two, the draw two, discard two is also very good. And the flexibility between those four modes is fantastic. So I played a bunch of a blue red through the breach with emrakul this week um sort of playing a blue moon shell with the the two card combo finish with four copies of this card and i have used almost every combination of modes frequently um with the biggest most obvious thing is that at the end of turn three you can cast it to rummage and create a treasure token and if you find your two card combo that treasure token is going to mean that you can hit them with an ember cool on turn four which in modern is sometimes very important to be able to do you know your your thing your deck's thing one turn earlier is a big big deal um, so i've been having a lot of fun with that deck whether or not it's uh you know the the best version of itself i don't know but uh, it certainly gave it a bump up in power and interaction that I really enjoy. This is one of the very few cards from this set that I pre-ordered. I, uh, nice. Yeah. It's like, this even guy. if it was just an is it Culligan's Command. Cull yeah. Culligan's Command is so good. Well, it doesn't have the same kind of upside that Culligan's mm -hmm. Command has, sure. in my opinion. That and, and, and this is one of the reasons I, I didn't I wasn't that impressed with it, is I wanted one of the sides of this to be a counterspell of some kind. Mm. Because the thing about Culligan's Command is even at worst, um, you can go you discard and I'm gonna shock something, or you discard and I'm gonna pick up a creature. And I love those modes on Culligan's yeah. Command. Yeah, Culligan's Command, fair. Snapcaster Mage is just oh my god. It's not that's indecent, is what that is, in terms of card damage. Um, but uh, but uh, what I didn't realize is I wasn't thinking about the card in the right way because it's not for that kind of deck. It's for a different kind of deck. Um, and it's it's mostly for things where you want to find these two-card combos. Um, Man, could I'm even be very good in a, uh, in a in a um, Grinding Breach deck, um, just as a way to help you find combo pieces, dump stuff in your graveyard, and uh, stay in the game give you the extra mana for your combo turn yeah yeah um, def plus definitely interesting i mean i don't know i, I want to go back to breach it's just there's so much graveyard hate lying around like it's i i did take lazav uh Liz i always try and do one week one week or one league a week or like one week one league every two weeks of lazav uh breach of lazav breach just to kind of see what's happening uh and you know i'm i'll normally three two four one with it but this was, there's a lot of graveyard hate right now, and you know, it really made me not want to play a breach deck. Curse, yeah. curse oh, you, totally. Dredge. Uh, even though they have been um, successful, there, there's there's still reasons to be cautious. <laughs> well, I mean, um, the Jeskai one, you know, that like the Jeskai breach is the stock list, which is, you know, I mean, it's a solid deck. It also plays Fort Teferi. I wonder if there's any coincidence in that. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not interested in stock lists, you know, just like if the, if the deck's been figured out, I kind of, even if, you know, I figured out my own deck and, you know, like, oh, you'd like 
can't really you know do much more don't see how i can tinker with this oftentimes i'll just kind of drop it for a little bit uh, even if i'm getting pretty good results with it unless it's something like grixis lazab where you know that's still that play style just really tickles tickles my fancy yeah man well with all of that behind us uh i think it's probably time to take a tiny break and then uh, come back with all the different other updates of the metagame uh, that we sort of intended to talk about that weren't breaking in this moment. some updates from our last two weeks of brewing uh i want to start with uh our friend omnath who last last episode did not care about our feelings um and so you know uh i wanted to see if we could get in in touch with omnath's sensitive side and i decided to take uh arun's omnath um stoneforge karn blade deck for a spin and I will admit, it was pretty sweet. Uh, I think that you're on to something with this whole play good cards thing. Obviously, I'm not very good at taking that advice, and I revert back to my default of playing bad cards. Absolutely. But, you know, for a little while, I was able to, to hold on to the good cards. Um, and everything in the deck being must answer is uh, is pretty sweet. Uh, I will also say there's a certain feeling you get when you drop a batter skull and equip it to Omnath. Um, in the same turn and just start beating face um, but that all said you really need to be on point with mana in this one uh, I definitely screwed up a bunch when I was first taking this out I usually start in the uh, tournament practice rooms because I'm a coward and uh, don't like tickets <laughs> quite as much um, and so I got a lot of that out of my way early. Uh, I didn't have time for a full league so I went to the, the heads up cues. Um, I ended up 2-2 um, but after I got a feel for the mana, like the deck really can sing, um, you know, as long as you make sure to fetch right and not screw up your colors or name the wrong thing with Utopia Sprawl. Oh, you gotta, you gotta be a little greedy. I'm just gonna briefly go over the deck real quick. Uh, so you get Gigantha as a companion, uh, in the one slot you have four birds, or you have one bird, four noble, four sprawl, we really want to ramp out, uh, four cobra, four stoneforge. Three Tlathis, uh, four Omnath, four Ren, four Teferi, the Fun Raveler, four Karn, and then Sword of Feast and Famine, Fire and Ice, Batter Skull, and then 22 lands uh, with a whole bunch of fetches, you know, like the pretty standard uh, red, green, white, blue mana base. So it's, you know, kind of the goal is to just ramp into big things, ramp into Karn, ramp into Omnath, and then, you know, hope, hope that you get there and you have the very wholesome Stoneforge Mystic as a backup plan. Yeah, so the thing that surprised me about this is that I didn't even really miss the lack of interactive spells. Um, I know that you like to joke about how you don't play interaction in your decks, but really, Ren and Six, Omnath, the Swords, Teferi, and Karn all are kind of interaction on various types of stick. And so uh, I didn't actually feel like I was missing lightning bolts or anything like that. You know, um, I had sort of fire and ice that was able to like remove small creatures. I played a, against a Jund opponent and like, I think I killed their Bob. You know, they had a Bob, I killed it with the sword. Had nice. a Bob, killed it with the sword. It's just like, Justice. I don't know. 
yeah, like you might as well block at that point because I'm just gonna kill the Bob with the sword trigger, and you could at least prevent the you know the draw. I I don't know. Um, so yeah, you know, it felt like you had plenty of interaction in that regard, and also very very big fan of Clothis. It's slow, but it's inevitable, and it's so incredibly frustrating for the opponent to try and remove. Oh yeah. Yeah, that card. Ugh. And it's alive pretty often in this deck because, you know, Clothis is two, uh, Renin 6 is two, Omnath is also two, you have Cobra is one, and then four Bob, then, you know, nine Mana Dogs, which are essentially one. It's just, it happens a fair amount of the time. And then, you know, even if it's not active, just, you know, like, do do do, gonna gain two life a turn or gonna ramp. And I think the big key in that previous iteration, uh, the first one I tried, it was Tireless Tracker, which was. Uh, kind of mediocre. Uh, it was cool when it worked, but just you know the deck is just so greedy. But Clothis was a really was really great because you have turn one mana dork, turn two Clothis, and then turn three you can actually cast Omnath and still have your fetch land drop available, uh, which is you know like turn three Omnath into Karn or something, or like turn three Omnath into you know like maybe sort of fire and ice equip sort of fire and ice to Omnath and like now you got a big baddie. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! No, it was it was pretty sweet. Uh, the swords with Omnath was also fun because it was it was kind of like build your own Titan. <laughs> yeah, it's messed up. The most of my losses with this deck are just to me. We're just to me flooding out, which was kind of sad. I think in the three leagues, I went um uh, eleven four. I had two four ones and a three two. And lost two five oh. Lost one five oh to Spike on stream. That was pretty brutal. Uh, you know, it just deck didn't quite cooperate with me i also made a couple small misplays because you know spike is a genius and spike is probably going to play his deck better than you're going to play your deck under most circumstances uh so that was that was a little unfortunate i mean i've been thinking about it you know my number one loss was always to flood like it felt like it felt like you know just like i lose with five lands in hand and then just drawing a whole bunch of lands i spent a lot of time brainstorming yesterday can we put croxa in this deck like probably way too much time brainstorming because it's like okay you know, like if we just had something to do with the mana and you know just like and yeah croaks is not quite uro but i've always really wanted to equip croaks with a batter skull i've never gotten there yet but that <laughs> that just seems like it's ab omnath and croaks the forbidden love i know that is you know like i don't think anyone's been crazy enough to try one this because you know, like I spent a lot of time thinking, like, okay, what can we do? Just, like, how do you get the black, black, red, red, and the stuff for Omnath, too? And especially if nothing else in the deck has black, you need to get the double black. You can't even use Lotus the Cobra. shadow. Yeah, I mean, we have Cobra, which, you know, I kind of actually overlooked. And, you yeah. know, maybe swapping nobles for birds. And I don't know. I think it's definitely something I'm going to try uh, and probably fail at. Yeah, yeah. Ideas. I love ideas. What about if you did 80 cards... Which would give you more room for things like abundant growth. You play Urian instead of Gigantha, um, and then just mess with it that way. Um, I mean, additionally, one of the super crazy powerful things that Davius's Davius Minimus's um, decks have been doing is Eldritch Evolution on a two drop on turn three, and you turn it into an Omnath. Uh, or on on uh, turn four, you spend three mana Eldritch Evolution your two drop into an Omnath. Then play the land and go nuts. Mm. Um, hmm. That gives you the Omnath density of playing 60 cards. Actually, even higher, as long as you've got a 2-drop to sacrifice. Um, but then you would have more room for things like Abundant Growth to fix your mana. Uh, 
and uh, then you could probably play some Croxes. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I kind of thought about uh, something similar, like uh, Abundant Growth, but I feel like if we Yorianify an Abundant Growth, we're just, you know, making our own bad Niv deck, is my one concern. Sure. And I love Clothis, but what if you move Clothis to the sideboard or just out of the main deck and replace that with three Dryad of the Elysian Grove, and now you have perfect mana all day, forever, extra land drops for Omnath, and you know what? You might as well just jam four Valakid in because you're now a Scapeshift deck too. Uh, well, you I don't mean, need to play Scapeshift, but so you're still going to win with Valakid because you have Dryad. I actually love that idea. Like when I was brainstorming yesterday, it's like, okay, how can we actually do this? Like, oh, you know, like, like first thing that came to my mind, of course, is uh, the artifact that we love but we never cast. The seven mana, five mana rock that makes all your mana doesn't matter. Ooh, the Ori. Yeah. Yeah, what what is that card called? Oh yeah, chromatic ori. Yeah, 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 chromatic ori. And but I mean, if you pass, if you're gas, you've got seven mana. You know, like you're probably winning already. Although it does draw cards for permanence. Like the other thing I really wanted to mess with is a, I still want to explore an Omnath plus Fall of the Tran shell, uh, where like you Omnath into Fall of the Tran, blow up everybody's lands next turn. You get two back, then you get the landfall trigger, and you just go nuts while your opponent's stuck on things. Ooh. And the one. You know, the reason why I really like this concept is that destroying lands works against literally every deck. Like, if you Armageddon your mm. opponent, you can beat aggro, you can beat combo, you can beat control, you can beat combo aggro, you can beat aggro combo control, you can beat anything. You know, everybody needs lands. Everybody mm. needs lands. Mm -hmm. As someone who's recently registered the cards Boom Bust and Obliterate, I can confirm that people need their lands. So what about Manless um, Dredge? That, well, I mean, that's a legacy deck. <laughs> yeah, and I think... Not in this format. Things in modern need their land. So this is... I really like the Dart of the Legion Grove idea, actually. That was one of my thoughts, because, okay, like... Chromatic Ori, you know, and I just said, like, maybe, but most likely no, and just kind of look for other things, and then uh, the dry, Dart of the Legion Grove did come up, which is pretty interesting, especially, like, with flooding out. I think adding Valakids, too, might be a little greedy, you know? I mean, I'm a greedy son of a bitch, but... Like, with but with all the green that you want to lead on on turn one, it's like kind of sketch, but then not really because I mean, if you have enough lands, then you can lead on other lands and play the Valakut. I think with Valakut, you need to cut Stoneforge and the equipment. Yeah. I feel like that would give you the room for the Dryads and the Valakuts. I was um, joking about the Valakuts just because oh, well, I like, see people play. Like I, I have lost to. What appeared to be a mono green list that was just running Valakit and with, I, with the Dryad, yeah, <laughs> it just like it it takes any sort of thinking out of the Valakit plan, and mm -hmm. so that right, was right. mostly a joke, but also kind of serious because why not? You know, play a mono green list and then just play your Dryads and play five color cards anyway. Why yeah, not? that that. That was the idea someone had with the the Velomachus deck is they were like, well, you're on this dwarven mine all mana uh, all mountain mana base anyway. Like, why don't, why don't we get some uh, Valkits and uh, Scapeshift in here? And there were just a, actually a lot of issues with with trying to do that. I mean, you're increasing the number of tap lands and deck that now that's a different deck than this one. But um, Valakit itself is not a mountain. 
uh, unless right. there's a dryad in play. So, I mean, there's just, it, it, it gets a lot more complicated than it seems like. Um, that if you was, want to make it good, that was not a slam. I was uh, yeah, the yeah, joke yeah. was mostly about how how easy or, dryad makes things. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I um, I'm actually getting kind of sold on the dryad idea in this deck. You know, something popped into my mind. It does fix your mana. Like the extra land drops will be pretty nice, especially when you're flooding out. You know, like mm-hmm. one of the reasons why Uro used to be so good in this deck is like Uro plus Ren and Six is just such a good engine where like it converts your card advantage into tempo, into life gain, into like everything, which was insano. We don't have that anymore. But in, you know, especially like turn one Dork, turn two Dryad, you've got a two four to block. You get an extra land drop, and next turn if you have an extra land drop again, you know, like Dryad's ramped you twice. So now. I think actually if you go turn two Dryad land drop, you can actually turn three, uh, just like Clothis, you can Omnath and then get in land drop, and you can actually hit your third. That's another thing too, is that it's almost impossible to trigger Omnath's third ability, which is, you know, mm-hmm. not like necessarily the most important, but if you can find a way to consistently trigger that, you are doming your opponent for four a turn and killing all their walkers on sight, uh, which is yeah. no, you know, that's relevant. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of lots of different things that you could you could take with this uh you could play some uh ram and app excavators the uh chalice of the void with legs um at that point if you're if you're looking to get not really... chalice uh, sorry um crucible yeah there you crucible go. of worlds crucible of worlds not chalice of the void um with legs can you imagine the chalice of the void with legs creature that's gonna that be, it's, be uh, it's coming kind of sanctum prelate except sanctum prelate is way better no no i'm talking chalice of the void with legs it's like x x x it's an xx creature and it's chalice of the void <laughs> <laughs> wanderer of the void who knows maybe it'll just be xx because the fact that it's a creature makes it a lot more vulnerable anyway um <laughs> regardless of crazy speculations for modern horizon 7 um this, yeah, I mean, yeah, this deck felt incredibly powerful. I mean, this is, I, I think pushing for interaction in the form of something that's just like Lightning Bolt or Path or something like that is not the right thing to do with this deck. So I think Dryad and like... Kroxa, let's go. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, Kroxa is the crazy idea that I would I would be interested in, in trying. Um I was unimpressed with Karn in this deck, but maybe I just had a mediocre um, league for it. Um, yeah, I I actually do agree that like Karn in my matches too, Karn has not been like the scariest thing. I'm still trying to figure out why Karn is not the scariest thing. Like why, like is it just Karn? I guess his static hasn't been super relevant, but also, you know, even getting it down and like, Ideally, in an ideal world, you want a Karn minus two for coding and cast the coding that turn, and then you get, uh, you know, turn off one land or permanent during your opponent's next turn, and then you get to start stone raining them. But it's just, it's so hard to have the six mana. You can maybe cast it, and then you minus it, you get the coding. You still, it's very important if you want to, like, get the most out of Karn that you have to grab the coding the turn that Karn comes down, and then the very next turn you can start stone raining. Uh, but mm. you know you minus two and three three loyalty Karn. That's a scary place. You know everyone always has the bolt. At least my opponents do. Uh, versus the uh, Kinnon Urza decks of yore, um, this deck doesn't make quite as insane amounts of mana. Um, and on your Omnath turn, playing a Karn off the Omnath is about as good as playing Karn without the Omnath, and that you just don't have that much mana to play around with after you've resolved the Karn. So it's just. It's fine, but I was just finding it to be 
one of the less exciting aspects. Yeah, so. I wonder. Maybe Dried Up the Legion Grove will give that extra mana. Because especially if you have that extra land drop, like you turn two Dryad, turn three Omnath into Karn with the extra land drop from Dryad, that's mm. actually, that is six instead of five. Because the issue is that you go Omnath fetch, that's one mana from the land plus four from the uh, from the Omnath, which is only five, which is not the six you need to grab the coating. Also, the, the thing is, having two mana left over Kar after Karn gives you the supreme flexibility um, in that you can cast Tormod's Crypt, yep. or Grafdigger's Cage, or Sorcerer's Spyglass, or the go-to card, Liquid Metal Coating, or Damning Sphere. Yeah, Damning Sphere is another good one. And that makes Karn a lot more exciting, is when you can get mm -hmm. all of those cards, or just the coating. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, thanks to Tinker with there. Yeah, yeah, um, I like this idea. And, you know, maybe I, I would love to be the one to break to, you know, put the two Forbidden Loves of Omnath and Kroxa together. That would be very fun. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that seems exciting. And, and uh, Lotus Cobra is certainly, I think, an integral part of that mm -hmm. because Omnath doesn't produce any black for you. So um, you you need the, the Cobra. But the Cobra makes it super easy because you have a fetch land. That's double black. You don't even need to fetch yep. a single black to get your Croxa going. So interesting to say the least. Um, you will need a, to sort of uh, maybe protect your Cobra. Um a little bit, but with uh, Ren and Six to get fetch lands, that should be you should be able to put in uh, enough actual lands if you're if you have to go slowly that you can get Crocs and, and grind people. Yeah, out that there's where you're put in. Also, maybe just to make you happy, Zach, maybe we can cast Gigantha and use Gigantha's actually use Gigantha's ability to cast the Croxa because you That's true. don't like Gigantha because no one uses Gigantha's ability. We can be the first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, for for anyone who's not hooked in. I I, I just loathe the way Gigantha gets treated because Gigantha has a five uh, an ability that is tap add white blue black red green to your mana pool. This can't be used to um, pay generic mana costs, and it's just not something that anyone ever builds a deck around. Like this deck is playing huge generic mana costs, right? Like we're not even following the quote unquote restriction of Gigantha in this deck because we don't have to. Because why would you? Because it's not good. Um, it's not a well designed restriction. So Gigantha just ends up being a free colossipede most of the time, and uh, I just object to Gigantha getting used for its body instead <laughs> of for all the beautiful, beautiful ways it's a unique elemental elk. Um, the one thing I do want to mention is that I love to do use Gigantha as a companion when I can because it is an actual out to Blood Moon. Which like mm. a lot of mm. oh, yeah. a lot of people don't realize. Like I've I have escaped many a blood moon. I actually used to in the in my five color Niv list where I would I would prefer Gigantha to Yorian as the companion. I would run four Blood Moon side and you know, just like dare my opponents, let's go. Like I'll Blood Moon myself, I don't care. I have Gigantha in the side, let's go. Oh, uh, see, I was the guy who played main deck Magus of the Moon with Bring to Light, um, because there are plenty of games where the Niv -Miz my Niv Mizzet deck was less hosed by the Magus than my opponent's was yep. uh, on uh, Amulet Titan or so. Um, so, but just to wrap up on this deck, Jiggy, what would you say out of your eleven and four experience on this deck? What would you say the problem was the most? You said it was flooding. Flooding, one hundred percent. It was flooding. Like I would. Okay. You know, I would lose the game with like eight lands in play and five lands in hand to my opponents just Oof. beating me down. Like, you, you know, just flooding is a big thing. The other thing is you do run a fair amount of fluff, you know, for instance, like the mana dorks, etc. aren't great. Like, you're really, your only good top decks might be Stoneforge, 
Omnath, Karn, Teferi, and then the equipments. Everything else is, you know, just very, it is, you know, very fluffy. I mean, the equipment does help to turn, you know, your birds and your nobles into like more relevant things. Like a four, a four or five vigilance bird is not a joke. You know, that'll probably win you a lot of games, especially like later when everybody's grinding each other down. But I would say, it's, it, you know, it's definitely flooding. I would say three out of those four matches were flooding, and one of them was just the opponent not drawing me. Mm. And and even in those flooding situations, sometimes drawing Karn is not good enough, right? Like, because it on its own is not a threat, and then it goes and gets something. Your opponent's like, okay, it's fine. I can get over that. Well, so, I yeah, Karn was actually you know great in this because you know Karn four and Snaring Bridge was you know probably like the number one thing, and that just shuts down you know even the control decks. Like if they haven't found their Planeswalker, you know, like they have Snapcaster and they have Colossus, they have you know just like beats from uh, Celestial Colony, those sorts of things, like. Bridge and also bridge was great with Clothis. Nothing, nothing feels better than having Clothis in a bridge and just sitting there, being like poke, poke. Yeah, I agree. Poke. That that was one of the good things about this deck. So, uh, running out of steam. That's yeah, that's yep, the yep. general thing. So, if anyone's looking to play that deck, iterate on that deck, improve that deck, uh, just look for ways that this deck can keep momentum going. Croxa. Um, yeah, Croxa could be one for grinding. Um, Maybe some of the um, Horizon Lands with Renin Six, so that your mana base can draw you cards. Mm. Um, that'd be especially especially good with Dry to the Elysian Grove, freeing up an extra land drop per turn, so that you're not um, locking your your amount of mana in play, um, so that you can keep triggering your Omnath while digging deeper. So all right, all right, I like I like those ideas. You know, I think I'll probably gonna start with Croxa and Dry it, and maybe try and fit one or two of the. Uh, the one or two of the horizon lands in yeah that's uh those are really good suggestions i'm excited to maybe this will be my dream to fairy croaks omnath deck mm. i'm so, in i'm in to give it another go let's do this it, it looks like next up we have some talk about bbc the big black citadel uh who the hell did this uh well i just want to did. say <laughs> i see two mox tantalites so i don't think it was you zach it certainly was not me. Um, I, <laughs> I, I can't. I cannot claim this was mine. No, no. Uh, no one would believe that. Uh, well, you know, sometimes you shouldn't do things, and you do, and they're bad idea. Actually, okay. So, after playing Esper Mentor, uh, as I said last episode, I was really enjoying some of the interactions with Citadel, um, and you know, casting the. Uh, casting costless cards off the top like Lotus Bloom. Um, I was also enjoying bringing Lotus Blooms back from the graveyard with Dance of the Mance. Um, but I wanted to kind of focus in on one or the other of those interactions, and I decided to try Citadel out because it wasn't something I had really played with a whole lot in the past. Um, and it was similar enough to some of the Mystic Forge decks that we had run you know, about a month ago. Uh, that I wanted to, to see if any of those lessons sort of translated. Um, you know, there's some pretty significant differences here in that Citadel uses life to cast off of the top, and so you're not really uh, locked into a specific color. Um, the Silver Gacklists, as we were calling them, were very light splash into a color and running Tronlands because we really needed that abundance of mana to go off. Well, you don't really need the abundance of mana here. Instead, you need an abundance of life or you need a bunch of free or zero cost spells to cast. 
Anyway, uh, decided that I was going to go into uh, the Citadel and that I was going to stick with the Lotus Bloom plan. Um, Lotus Bloom is basically only good in your hand when you draw it in your opener. After turn one, it falls off super fast, uh, and even that is kind of generous against a fast aggro deck, uh, especially something like Prowess these days. Um, suspending a Bloom on turn one is kind of a crapshoot. You may not be alive to see it come off suspend, or if you are, you're probably so low on life that the Citadel you cast with it is just going to kill you. So with that in mind, there were two ways that I decided to go with this. The first was red, uh, so that I could play trash for treasure, or blue for reshape. So I decided to give the red list a try first. I went into uh, Jund colors. I wanted green for a few things. Um, the first was uh, Weather the Storm. I figured that that would be a pretty good thing to be casting as I was churning through my deck. It was going to gain me some life, which in this deck is you know, essentially the same as gaining mana or going up on mana. The other thing I wanted was Gilded Goose. I was hoping that the food tokens would be able to maybe stave off the life loss long enough that I could finish churning through my deck. It was also an extra ramp spell. Uh, in red, I was running Cathartic Reunion and Goblin Engineer. The idea there is that I can bin the Citadel and then trash for treasure it on turn three. And then to round out the rest of the deck, I had four Lotus Bloom, two Mox Tantalite, four Crashing Footfalls, four Chromatic Star, uh, an Elixir of Immortality, two Wand of Vertebrae, which are Mill Rocks, uh, <laughs> and two Sikili. Wand of Vertebrae, nice. Yeah, so the Wand of Vertebrae was something that I had pulled from the Silvergack lists. Uh, in the very early iterations of those, um, Breast Player had been running eight mill rocks as a way to get lands off the top of the deck. And so this was basically tech from that. I figured something that I could activate without spending mana was going to be a little bit better than like the Chromatic Spheres and Stars. It's pretty easy to turn three, get the Citadel out, and then not have any mana up. And so not being able to activate a chromatic star or a chromatic sphere can really stop you dead in your tracks there. Um, Crashing Footfalls I thought was a nice card to cast off of the top with Citadel, but it was otherwise terrible. I never wanted to suspend it. Uh, I ended up pitching it to Cathartic pretty often, which I guess is an okay thing to do with it, but anytime <laughs> there's a card in your deck that's best play is to be discarded, it's probably just not worth playing. Uh, being able to produce two tokens was nice, though, because it means that you're you know two, two permanents closer to activating the Citadel and, and dealing 10 damage. Um, but overall, this version just didn't quite get there. Uh, with all of the fast aggro, and I include things like Dredge in this, my life total was often low enough, even by turn three, that I just couldn't quite get there unless I hit one of the Weather the Storms in the, the very early turns. Mm. Um, that said, the times that I did manage to get a Weather the Storm out and like go up to you know 50 or 60 life, it was game over. I just had it locked in at that point. Yep. Um, the the biggest thing I think I would draw from this particular list is that the Goblin Engineer Cathartic Reunion package with Trash for Treasure was actually pretty solid. I found that I was not consistently getting a turn three necessarily, but usually by turn four I had a Citadel online, which was pretty nice. Um, so, it, so then with, one one question I have so is 
you, you, so you mentioned turn four citadel was often not good enough for you like it was good but no, not it, quite there it was fine against something like a more controlling list like if somebody else was playing a mid-range or, or a more controlling type list uh it was fine obviously against like a straight control deck trash for treasure on three is pretty high liability especially if you only have one artifact out you sacrifice your artifact and then you get nothing that's usually a good game but like um against something like a stone blade or just like a a, a mid-rangey type deck it was totally fine um against aggro or a dredge which i was seeing a ton of prowess i was seeing a ton of dredge it just wasn't good enough because you know, even if you're at, say, 12 life when the, the Citadel comes down, um, hitting a Trash for Treasure is possibly going to stop you if you have nothing to sacrifice with it and possibly just going to deal mm. three to you to get a Lotus Bloom back or maybe a Mox Tantalite back. Um, Gilded Goose ended up being pretty terrible. Uh, I wasn't able to activate the food tokens enough. Um goblin engineer was kind of nice i don't know it's just like you need to make a ton of permanence for citadel to actually work yep and oftentimes if you want to win on the same turn you need to be able to cast two citadels so usually the first one was a trash for treasure the second one you were probably casting with the first citadel and then you want to activate the citadel in response so that you can deal your 10 get the new citadel out and i just like wasn't making enough material and i wasn't taking the opponent low enough there, there were just a bunch of structural problems. Um, I actually had tried swapping out the crashing footfalls for lightning bolts, and that was slightly better because I could get the opponent low enough uh, between them fetching and shocking and things like that that I only had to activate one citadel. But the flip side of that is crashing footfalls making two tokens was pretty nice, and with the bolts in instead, I sometimes didn't have enough material to activate the citadel. So... Yeah, interesting. I guess the the thing here is I would probably keep the Goblin Engineer cathartic trash for treasure Citadel package, but probably want to swap some other pieces around. Go up on Sahili's uh, to make more tokens. Maybe add Sai or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't really know. I was gonna ask how was Sahili because you know in in the only bullet sets I really played, I had Mentor. And Mentor in Citadel was like sick. That was that was sweet. You know, love love me yeah. some good Mentor Citadel. Well, that, that's actually a good point. So one of the things from the Mentor lists was that I felt like Mentor was the worst card in the deck. But now having played uh, a couple versions of Citadel without Mentor, the fact that Mentor just goes off making so many tokens is super nice. And those tokens are actually a pretty solid backup plan if you need to you know, pass turn. Um, Sihili is good. Sihili is very good, especially because uh, you can do things like copy the Citadel, activate the first Citadel uh, in response to the, the... Oh, no, I guess you can't do that, can you? Uh, State-based actions are... are pain. Oh, you, you activate first. No, you can't do that because you'd sorcery speed. Well, uh... Sihili's sweet anyway. She makes a bunch of tokens. She can copy things. In this particular list, um, I ended up copying the Lotus Bloom a couple of times, which was nice. But, That's spicy. Uh, only so that you can like activate a Chromatic Star and bounce the land off the top of your deck. So it wasn't really <laughs> doing anything. Yeah, I mean, 
one of the things that's a little tilting about Bolas' Citadel with some of the stuff going on here is it doesn't give you the option to pay mana for yep. the card off the top. Um, so every now and then it's like, well, damn. <laughs> like, sometimes there's something on top of you like, I could just pay for this. I don't need to take three damage. Like, yep. come on. I, I don't have the life to play with here. Um, the, the first thing I would wonder is, is it possible to fit any number of Aetherworks... Uh, no, uh, Aetherflux Reservoir into mm. the deck. Because um, yeah. that... That gets you cooking real quick. Um, it, obviously, that's a four mana artifact that you're planning on getting into play with your six mana artifact. <laughs> but um, still, it's uh, it is the kind of thing that I don't know um, might really make this thing. Um, have you ever played the quote unquote stock Bullet Citadel combo decks, Brian? The ones from many moons ago um, that were playing like. Uh, all sorts of sort of green enchantments, Arbor Elf, Utopia Sprawl, Abundant Growth, um, and Weather the Storm. They were usually playing like four copies. So it seemed like the deck was very, very in on uh, sort of green ramp, but a lot of the ramp that um, you could actually use on the same turn. So like Utopia Sprawl, for example, goes on to a land, an untapped land. So mm. if you get it off the Bolus' Citadel for zero mana, you go up a mana. Um, and then... I cannot remember what they were planning on doing with that, but the ability of that deck to um, start tearing through their deck when they hit the Bullets of Citadel seemed pretty good. Um, so their plan was just to cast it. Um, and I, I don't know how many copies they were playing, which is one of the problems you have to solve, because uh, admittedly, once you have a Bullets of Citadel in play, the worst card in your deck is Bullets of Citadel uh, yep. to find on top. <laughs> and you definitely, need, you definitely need cards that allow you to clear the top of your library, so Chromatic Star and Wand of Vertebrae are certainly good choices for that. But I, I wonder if um, some, some type of pile like that is, is something that you should maybe uh, be tempted by. Yeah, so... To the first point, I think that Aetherflux Reservoir, that was actually like my very first thought. Like, oh, this wants mm. to be an Aetherflux Reservoir deck. Um, but then I kind of... I wanted to lean into using the Citadel as the kill condition because, you know, I I don't know why I would want to make a, an Aetherflux Reservoir deck that was... Like, why, why Citadel and Reservoir together? I feel like Mystic Forge or like there's any other number of ways to build the, the Aetherflux Reservoir deck, I guess, that seem like they might be slightly better. Uh, the, the pairing of life gain and life loss makes a lot of sense. Like you're going to end up going up life even though you're paying all that life with um, Bolas's Citadel, but... I don't know. There was just it, you know, like you said, it's it's ten mana worth of permanence that you have to get into play, <laughs> and a lot of mana. I mean, I, and I, you can't tron it because it's got triple black. Right, right. I, I don't know. In the back of my mind, there was also a little bit of like, why am I not just playing storm? Right. Um, or um, uh, with, with Aetherflux, the the go to is paradoxical outcome, which mm -hmm. was a standard deck at the end of uh, like the twenty twenty season. When uh, the core set uh, came out, there was... Gosh, there was something in it. I think it was Psy. Yeah, yep. Psy was yep. the card that pushed that deck into the point where, for a little while on uh, Arena, there was a Bono Blue Storm deck with Paradoxical Outcome and, and some of the cards that I've mentioned there. So that's fair. Um, 
But but the Bolas Citadel deck that I mentioned, uh, does that does that have any draw for you? With uh, just all sorts of green ramp and four copies of Weather the Storm. So it makes sense to me. You know, hearing you know, Utopia Sprawl, uh, it's permanent that you're going to be able to sack to Citadel. It's going to help ramp you out. Um, I don't know if it was playing, like, Abundant Growth and that sort of thing, too, but... Uh, uh, I believe so, because it helps you fix to triple black. Right. Mm. So that makes a lot of sense, just because, you know, like I said, without a token producer, you're not putting enough material on board to activate the Citadel. Um so yeah, right, I, and yeah, I, and things yeah. like that do that for you, right? Because all these little crappy enchantments for your for your lands can mm-hmm. get you there. Yeah. The other yeah. thing I want to mention, like in my experience with Citadel, messing in the old Kinnon shells, all they had Uro and all the good stuff. Kinnon and Mox Amber and Springleaf Drum play really well with Bolas's Citadel, as Drum with Kinnon generates double black, so you can you know ramp it out pretty quickly. Uh, the chromatic stars, chromatic spears, they'll start going up in mana. And the other really nice thing is that once you have a citadel, you can just start kind of going off. So you play your chromatic stars, like your chromatic spears, like you get a cannon, an amber, a drum, and now you have more than enough mana to start popping all the spears and the stars. And so I remember, you know, like in, when I was messing with these citadel lists, the biggest issue was not having citadel eat a force of negation because these were back in the force of negation was everywhere days. But otherwise, mm, every yeah. time I resolved the citadel, I I won that mat. I won that game. You know, just like I think I was five out of five or six for six, where citadel hits the battlefield and I win that game. You know, either this turn or next turn. Uh, so you know, I think that might be something else to consider too. Is how can we? <laughs> oh, Kenan, I'm sorry I abandoned you, but we don't have any more arrows. <laughs> No, that that also makes a lot of sense. And I had kind of looked in that space, but I, I you know, I was trying to do some some different things here. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just trying to get outside my comfort zone a little bit. So, but yeah, as as we all should, as we all should. Uh, so the other thing I decided to try was Sultai. Um, I actually don't have the list here. I apparently modified. Uh, that list to mess with some ideas in Esper, and so I, I lost, uh, <laughs> <laughs> lost the lost the list. Uh, I've but done I did this. Swap to blue primarily for reshape uh, and getting to play Psy. I added in Jace the Mind Sculptor, even though it was a four mana hit. I thought being able to to brainstorm would be a pretty big game with the Citadel, and it turns out it was. Um, Reshape allows you to cast a turn one artifact, turn two reshape for Lotus Bloom, and turn three cast a Citadel, making uh, assuming you mage all of your land drops. And this actually happened in four out of ten games that I was tracking it, and then I had a turn four Citadel and another four. So again, like the Jun list, this was pretty consistent. Uh, this list was also running four Crashing Footfalls, three Weather the Storm. I cut the Gilded Geese this time because I didn't feel like they were doing enough, and I opted for some additional mill rocks uh, to clear the lands off the top of my deck. Um, unlike the Mystic Forge Tron decks I had been playing uh, you know, a month ago or so, this was pretty light on mana, like I said, so I felt like the mill rocks were better than the chromatics, and I just went with a full eight. Uh, but this ultimately suffered from similar problem as the Jun list. It was still a bit too finicky. Uh, I could sometimes stall out during a combo turn or just run out of life to keep going through the deck. Um, Jace ended up being a lot better than I expected, even at the cost of four life. Uh, you know, being a must anther th- 
answer threat meant that you know if i did have to pass turn sometimes the opponent would be so focused on the jace that they wouldn't realize that they could probably just kill me or like get me low enough that i can't go off with citadel the next turn so like i had a game where i you know i stopped my my combo turn at eight life or something and the opponent had a stone forge with a sword and uh, didn't attack me attacked jace instead and it's like well if you had just attacked me and done the three like putting me down to five I, I might not have been able to go off the next turn like if i had another jace on top and then anything else it would have been game over uh, but the fact that they left me alone and went for the Jace meant that I was able to go off the following turn. Um, and luckily I hit a, a Weather the Storm and got up to like 60 life. And But overall, I think I liked the blue more than red. Uh, Reshape was a much better was much better to cast off the top of the deck than trash for treasure because it doesn't require an artifact on board and because it can find an additional lotus bloom uh it was pretty nice you know trash for treasure requires something in the graveyard reshape find something out of the deck and usually the go-to is lotus bloom that gives you the mana to do whatever you need to do if you do have a chromatic or something that you need to activate on board if you have cards in hand that you want to cast things like that so just to kind of wrap this all up, um, my thoughts on Citadel are that mitigating life is super important. Whether the storm was good, but there might be better ways to do this. Maybe Elixir of Immortality or something like Children of Corliss uh, in white. Just something that's going to gain you life and preferably is a permanent that sits on board. The problem is a lot of the stuff that sits on board doesn't gain you a ton of life and you need a ton of life. So maybe Aetherflux Reservoir is the right option here. Um, I think that using Citadel as your win con is kind of suspect. It's hard <laughs> to get non-land material on board to kill in a single turn unless you find the weather the storm. Um, so I don't know. You know, there were a couple times where I was like, ah, you know, I comboed off enough. I'm going to end my, my turn here, and then I'm sure I can pick it up next turn and win. And then there was no next turn because they won. So, <laughs> you know, it's this, this yeah. balancing act. Yeah. Like, how low is too low before you can pass turn? Yep. Uh, I think having a consistent turn three or turn four Citadel is super important. And that's probably the one thing I did really like about both of these lists is that they were pretty consistently getting a turn three, turn four. Um, I kind of figured it was going to be kind of finicky. I also thought maybe I would eat graveyard hate, but surprisingly, like even trash for treasure just got it done. So um, that was probably the biggest takeaway. It was like those, those packages actually felt pretty good. Uh, but overall, the both decks felt worse than the Silver Gak decks that we had been playing in a lot of ways. Um, having access to colors is really nice, and Lotus Bloom was like a pretty fine replacement for the big mana of Tron. But Silver Gak had a much better pivot plan. You know, the Metalwork Colossus is just super sweet, and <laughs> being able to replay those from the graveyard and things like that, uh, very good. No, that um, that deck was really awesome. Um, so big kudos to you for finding and digging deep on that one. So never stop digging for these decks because even though the Bullet Citadel one seems uh, not quite as sweet, it's so close, isn't it? And every time you're like, oh, it's got almost. 
Well, it makes me want to go back to those silver gak lists. I, you know, yeah, there you yeah, go. There is definitely more to be to be done there. It just needed to take that pause and step away. And yep. I think a lot of the lessons I learned here are good lessons. Um, also, but, you the know, uh, the adjustment to the metagame. I, I think the chalice version of silver gak might be better than ever right now. Mm, yeah, because I, of all the yeah. uh, crazy aggressive prowess decks and even things like the uh, Grixis Luris deck, uh, throwing down a chalice on two against them is pretty insane. Uh, it's not unbeatable by any stretch, but but very very good, and it's something you can do. Well, and a chalice um, on two against dredge is like big yeah, oof for good. them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think if there are better zero drops, if we see better zero drops come out, maybe uh, some more un- otherwise uncastable spells. Like I, there's rumors that Modern Horizons two will have another series of uh, uncastable suspend cards. If those are good. That might up the, you know, the the Citadel deck. Um, maybe you do something like an As Foretold Citadel deck, because the big tension there is if you draw any of the uncastable spells, they're just awful. Um, mm-hmm. The other way to possibly go with this, and I haven't actually tried it yet, is maybe just play Phyrexian Unlife. Um, you know, go mm-hmm. Esper or something like that. And if you get the Unlife out, you can just you can cast every spell in your deck if you mm-hmm. want. You can't. It, mm, you cannot. You can't pay life you don't have. It works with ad nauseum mm. because they do it all in one go. Mm. No, I think it works with ad nauseum because ad nauseum is causing life loss. It's not asking you to pay life. Oh, um, okay, yeah. So Listen to the sim- judge. Similar, similar to money in the real world or mana, uh, when the game asks you to pay something, you have to have that something. You can't just say, like... Oh yeah, I'll, I'll pay five mana. It's like, well, you don't have five mana. Unless um, you are the sovereign nation in charge of your own currency, in which case you do get to print money, ah, and you can. Yeah, that's true. But then you're <laughs> causing mass inflation, and then people are going to be bringing wheelbarrows of money to buy a loaf of bread. But are you? Which does not sound like fun, but it's probably a good workout. Um, but the the point is, um, as you when you read Adonisium, it says, you flip the top card of your deck, and... Um, you lose life equal to its converted mana cost, and then you can repeat that process, and then at the end you put them all in your hand. Um, so anything that's causing life loss is no problem with Phyrexian on life. But anything that's asking you to pay life is a problem, okay. and that's the reason why um, the Ad Nauseam decks have always played City of Brass and not um, the... Uh, mana Confluence. Uh, mana Confluence. Mana Confluence. Because Mana Confluence requires you to pay life, to get the mana out, and if you have a Phyrexian on life, but you're at zero or less, you literally can't activate that man, that land. Um, well, that's yes. so. here you go, hey, though, Brian. Today I learned. Yeah, I got, I got you. Children of Corliss. Yeah, that's what oh. I. Oh, I said that just a couple moments ago as a life gain yeah, option. Yeah, yeah. So now, now you're, yeah, you're cooking. All right, that's nutty. Um, All right, so, but. I, I still think Weather the Storm is probably just better, right? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. definitely, I think it's probably well, pretty good right. in these decks. But, but Children still, of but still. Corliss doesn't put you up life, which is the problem. Uh, yeah, 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 but that's the, that's the thing with Weather the Storm, is like when you finally cast the Weather the Storm, the, just one of that card could be gain like 30. Yep. Yeah. Um, whereas Children of the Corliss can never be more than gaining as much as you've lost. So right. that's like, you know, m- maybe 15. But then you're also playing with fire on on just getting bolted out in response or something. So, uh, follow me on this one, and this is this is we're we're going we're digging deep here. Uh, this might be the Navigator's Compass deck. 
It puts a permanent on the board that can either be sacrificed to trash for treasure if you're in the red. Uh, but if you think about it this way, if you are looking for things that put you up mana, and I say up mana in air quotes, you're talking about a one, one life cost or a one mana cost to put you up three life, which is effectively going up two mana. So if you're casting this right, off the top right. of your deck, you're, you're going up two mana. And if you think of it as a ramp spell in that way, I think it's a lot better. I don't know. But it only does that once you have the Citadel. Yeah. I'm, otherwise, it's quite, quite well, a bad card. I'm, I'm highly, 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 and, you know, skeptical. I mean, I love Navigator's Compass, and, you know, I do think just like, you know, I, I think. I don't. Dan, Dan messed with the Pioneer Niv, and he thought it was, you know, just like not terrible. Uh, but, you know, I think if you want to actually play Navigator's Compass, you got to get the mana fixing out of it. Yeah, well, hey, we are in a deck that wants triple black, so, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. I, I think that there's other reasonable uses for it. But the nice thing is, even if the Citadel isn't out yet, if you pay one mana for it and go up three life, you've effectively still ramped yourself for the turn that you do have the the Citadel out. But you haven't affected the board in any other way, and your opponent's just going to go Swift, Spear, Mutagenic, Growth, Lava Dart, Lava Dart, Bolt, <laughs> and your three yeah, life well, will look like nothing. Well, we- if we're comparing ourselves to mutagenic growths and clever lumamancers, I think we're just going to quit on any idea before we get going. So yeah, I mean, uh, so so, but you know, the the thing is, is like the chromatic spheres, the chromatic stars, the wand of vertebrae, the codex shredders, like all of these things are also doing the exact same. Like they suffer from the same problem, and that that is the biggest problem with this deck so far. Was like. Cool, I played my one mana, you know, artifact, and you just played a swift spear and two mutagenic growths, and now the turn that my uh, citadel comes out, I'm at four life and I can't cast anything because you're just gonna kill me. And that that was more or less my experience. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm still pretty skeptical about <laughs> Navigator's Compass, but you know, I've we played Mark's Tantalite. We've, well prob- we've probably played worse cards, so you know, there's no harm in tossing it in and seeing what happens. I yeah. hate to tell you this, but the Mox Tantalite almost never came out. Unless it was on the top of my deck and I cast it with Citadel, it just it it never really happened. I was always going for the Lotus Blooms. Turns out, um, Lotus Bloom, pretty sweet card. Who could have possibly known? That an artifact that a lotus that, would be good. Yeah, I know, right? These. I mean, we haven't really explored it, but like Kinnan does make Lotus Bloom add four mana. <laughs> you are not wrong. You are not wrong. Well, so maybe Sultai, uh, Sultai version of this deck is the way to be. Um, but speaking of going all in on speculative cards for main deck inclusion. Oh, I mean, honestly, I think with just how time is going, we might want to skip these two sections because. I don't, I don't think we. I don't think I learned anything from the Esper Mentor deck other than I scratched my itch and it was bad. All right. Uh, I also played your Esper Mentor deck just to get yeah, it mentioned. I, I watched it. It is replay. on my YouTube. I got massacred, and basically the conclusion that we both sort of reached here is, you are an excellent player of this deck, but you built it. You've been playing it a lot. You've been playing a lot of your Emery Unearth um, kind of decks. And these are relying on very thin margins to close out games. Uh, Every little advantage, every extra monk token matters. Um, And while it is possible to compete in a modern world with this thing, um, you really got to get yourself dialed into 100% value from every single play. Um, Is that that fairly accurate? Yeah, I I totally agree. And, you know, even like if you're 
you know, like, I'm not the biggest fan of having to play twice as good as your opponent just to be on equal footing, you know, like, that's, <laughs> that's not my style of play. I prefer to, you know, turn off my brain and get a little lucky. That's, you know, that's kind of my style of play. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, to, to your credit, I, I think you're um, playing down just how good you are at playing these kind of decks. And, you know, you when you autopilot through these decks, you find much more clever and interesting lines, similar to when I've watched Mordekaiser play or had Mordekaiser commenting on me playing Enigmatic. And you guys just have played the deck enough yep, times, yep. or d damn it, you're just smarter than me, where you find lines at an unbelievable speed that I just don't even see. Um, but I've seen how that is for me playing compared to some other players who have less um, reps, less time playing, less frequency, yep. uh, sort of soaking in modern. So um, it's it's definitely a very demanding thing. But as you said there, uh, not, not worth the, the effort. Um, maybe next week we can talk about, uh, or next uh, episode we can talk a bit more about some historic stuff uh, because maybe I'll explore some stuff as well. And, grumble, uh, grumble, you and I can, can go back and forth on that. Oh, yeah, bit. and then Brian and, uh, can yell at clouds. So we have our first ever listener question. Brian, how did this happen? Uh, we got an email. Oh. <laughs> nice. First email we've we've received that wasn't a spam email actually, so that's uh, this is a, a, a momentous occasion. Some kind of electronic mail, you say? Yes, yes, it okay. came from the electronic post office. Oh. Uh, anyway, Caleb asks in MH two, what legacy staples do you hope to see? Also, opinions on how shardless agent and orcish lumberjack would be in modern, and. Um, I am going to kick it off because I know that uh, uh, Arun has some uh, response to some of my answer here. Um, and I hope Zach so does as... too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm as sure as I for will. The, the first uh, question, what legacy staples do you hope to see? Um, the only ones that I can really think of are crop rotation and cabal therapy. Uh, I think that there's a pretty good chance that crop rotation is just too good for the format. I could see it causing problems and getting banned, but I'm okay with that. I just want to play with it for a little bit. And um, I think it would be neat to see a land strategy that doesn't necessarily use Primeval Titan. Uh, I guess we saw a strategy earlier today, and it was either the 5-0 dump or one of the challenges that use, uses the crop rotation on a stick. So uh, maybe that's what I need to be playing with. Um, I don't know. I just like creatureless strategies, I guess. I don't know that there can even be a land strategy in the sort of legacy sense of the term. Um, just because the legacy utility lands are so much more powerful. But, uh, you know, I think it would be fun for a little bit, and so I'd like to see it. As for Cabal Therapy, I think that is actually a pretty safe include. Cabal Therapist is resistant to brewing with, I think. I've jammed it in various lists, I've thought about how to build around it, and it's either going to be an awful deck that can maximize cabal therapy or cabal or sorry cabal therapist or cabal therapist is just not good and so i think the biggest problem with it is the timing 
Um, you're not really getting value off of it right away unless you have a zero drop creature, but if you're playing zero drop creatures, you're probably playing bad cards. <laughs> and here we are. Um, I think the fact that it sees pretty much zero play, and I don't, has it ever been in a 5 0 dump? Like, I don't, you know. It has, yeah. But it, it was like in like a Mardu medium deck with like lingering souls or something of that nature. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like Cobalt Therapy could help boost the effectiveness of some currently pretty medium decks like Crabvine into a better position. I say as Crabvine was just in the top eight <laughs> of the challenge, so maybe I don't know. Well, what I'm like about I, here. I feel like this is another one of those situations where it's like, well, these are all nice ideas, but when when this becomes the primary discard card for Dredge um, in their main deck as a four of, you're going to be like, oh, damn. This is not what I wanted. Yeah, it's a, it's well, a good thing they don't have. Yeah. I mean, with Bridge Band, you know, I could see therapy being yeah. a little bit more reasonable. I'm going to say, your crop rotation, uh, go home, Brian. You are drunk. <laughs> like I admit, it's probably crazy. It is. Well, the, I mean, the biggest problem is you're just going to make Green Tron yep. even more fast and consistent without um, really making any other strategy viable because the only powerful lands we have right now are like Bajukabog and Valakut. Uh, and that's it. Field is gone. And again, we, as you said, we don't have access to a lot of the cool toolbox. There's no Glacial Chasm. There's no Tabernacle at Pendrel Vale. Not that I think there should be, but they don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Right, you know, <laughs> give us Maze of Ith and uh, some of these other utility lands then. Come on, wizards, stop being cowards. But even so, you know, like, uh, you could have some cool utility lands, but I don't think any deck would be happier than Mono Green Tron. Which, like, if you if you were upset about losing to, like, when they mulligan to four and beat you, just wait until they <laughs> never mulligan below six and they always beat you. Also, um, Elvish Reclaimer getting a Flagstones of Trocare, and then you having another green mana to crop rotation your Flagstones of Trocare for, like, the, the triple ramp into a Titan very quickly sounds uh, <laughs> kind of nuts. Yep. Or into right, a Bring Delight right. or into a Scape Shift. Um, I mean, I just it's just not great in the format, so I, I don't know if they'll bother. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. If you want crop... You, <laughs> The way one way to control crop rotation would be to to add mental misstep back in. Because let me tell you, having your crop rotation mental misstep is a brutal beating. Boo or daze. Um, oh yeah. But, uh, and what's what's all this about shardless agent? Well, hold on. I want to I want to talk about therapy real quick too, because oh, I think go, that's. Go. Yeah. You know, I would be interested in Therapy in Modern. I am slightly worried to be slightly too broken. Like Therapy is a pretty fucked up magic card. Like if you've ever played Legacy, like. Therapy's a messed up magic card. I mean, even without Bridge from Below, I think it's still pretty messed up. But, you know, I have a sweet Black-Red Croaks of Breach deck that plays carry, like, you know, like Stitch Supplier and care and Cabal Therapy is probably one of the most disgusting and busted things you can possibly be doing. Uh, and, you know, if it existed in Modern. Like, it's just, I have a, you know, the Black-Red Breach deck I worked on a little bit ago that felt like it was Cabal Therapy away from being, like, Tier 2, Tier 1, maybe. It felt really powerful, but was just missing that one little bit of disruption. And... Yeah, therapy. Therapy is messed up, man. Like it feels. I mean, it's such a sweet card because you know you love to get those big brain hits, like therapy in the blind for a card, and you hit two of them. Like that's probably not yeah. a better feeling in Magic. Uh, but you know, if someone blind Cabal therapies you and hits two cards, that's not much of a worse feeling. I guess I. I don't know. That's one of those things that I'm. I think I would be okay with just because I would be happy that it was in the format. 
but you know what you're probably right the first time i get dredged out and it just like completely wrecks my day probably gonna be pretty sad about that yeah i mean i'm down to you know i think i'm not okay with crop rotation being in the format but i'm okay with cabal therapy that's my that's my final stance uh are there any uh are there any cards that you're you're looking for here with the legacy staples um ooh, that's a good question i mean I don't so much you have any legacy tables I'm interested in. I want more nostalgia cards, you know, like I want Psychotog, I want Memory Lapse, I want Nightscape Familiar, you know, Burning Wish maybe. Those are no longer legacy staples. I think they were legacy staples in like 2006, 2005 maybe. Uh, but now they are no longer. And, you know, like Brainstorm is too powerful. Again, I'm, I'm just more for, so for the nostalgia cards uh, rather than any staples. Do you think, so uh, t- two, two layered question here. Um, one, do you think they could just put Psychotog in there flat out? I think they could. It would be too and weak. You're, it would be. You, you say it would be. You say it would be too weak. And my my rebuttal is: What if they also put in upheaval? Um, upheaval. I don't think is they will. I still, but I'm saying it would be okay. I still think it's too weak. I mean, like if you're looking for a three mana like decent threat now, like in blue black yeah. control. I mean, there's Narset, which is really good. Like probably better against control decks. Not as good against aggro. But you know, just like you know, you play Psychotog and they and they bolt it. You have to pitch one card and exile two. Like I think, and you know that that's a lot of resources you're going down just to make it survive. And now you've still got this one two. Like I don't, you know, I don't think it'd be super. Maybe if they like if they reprinted Psychotog and made it a three four instead. You know, now we're talking. Like I think this could <laughs> like three mana three four with Psychotog abilities. You know, make it legendary too, because you know why not? You know that sounds like fun. Like that would. I would be very interested in this card, and I think that would see play, uh, maybe even in control decks. But otherwise, you know, just like three mana, three mana for a one-two. That's that's an ask. Yeah, but it's Psychotog, right? I mean, come on, you can't you can't just reskin Psychotog and be like, yo, we we need to adjust this for the modern developmental era. I mean, I think. I mean, obviously, you could. I think you can. Psychotog was made well yeah. before Planeswalkers, well before any other busted things. I mean, it does have the advantage now that it doesn't have to compete for your graveyard with Uro, which I think you know before made it completely untenable. But I mean, you know, I played so much Psychotog uh, in old extended. I have you know, it's like you know I. I just love the card. I have such good nostalgia for it. And, you know, I don't I don't think I would even try it in modern if it was three mana for the one two. And then so that that led link to my second question of do you think they could put in upheaval? And I, I suppose the answer was no there. I mean or do, that they could, but Yeah, I think upheaval would be fine. Like it's it's a six mana spell, that's a sorcery. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, or is it? In, it's a sorcery. It's not an instant. It's a sorcery. Okay. It's a sorcery. Yeah, it's I mean, it, I think it's totally fine. You know, if you want to try and spend six yeah. mana to bring everything up and then put it back down again, you know, especially with force of negation around just like, you know, have at it, you know, good, good luck. Uh, I have a list of stuff here. Um, as I've mentioned before, I think counterspell and force spike would be great to have in modern specifically because they'd be playable, but not insane. I know people have opinions about counterspell being in modern, blah, 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 forces out all the other two cost, uh, counters. I think remand would still see play. I think mana leak would still see play sometimes. Um, uh, Counterspell would basically replace Logic Knot, and I think that's fine. Most decks aren't even playing a large number of Logic Knots. Logic Knot does combo with Shark Typhoon, but other than that, like, that's not... Uh, it it also skirts, 
you know, Chalice of the Void or some other. Like, it's got niche uses in... Yeah. I, mean, I think yeah. if, Counterspell were, if Counterspell were in the format, it would be a 4-up in pretty much every control deck. And I think they would still play 2-mana CMC once to supplement it. But I would bet a lot of money that, like, it will be the most... If Counterspell is printed into Modern, it will be the most played control... The most played Counterspell in Modern uh, by a long shot. Right, but is that a bad thing? Because my point is that Counterspell doesn't see a lot of play in Legacy. It sees a little. Yeah, it's sometimes. too weak for Legacy it's now. Like a one or two, of, which is insane. Um, well, it's not that it's too weak necessarily. It's that it's too much of a tempo loss, and like a lot of the time, Days does the job anyway because you're putting enough pressure on your opponent that they have to play very close to exactly as much mana as they have all the time, uh, and then you already have Force of Will, which gets hard cast more than people would think because the once the game goes late it goes late and you just have that much mana kicking around um and having the alternative of pitching it is insane um i just think that modern would be a great counterspell format yeah i mean a great place for for counterspell to be a thing that people got to play with um although it's in the historic um mystical archive band but it's banned, right? That's that's I, I double checked that yesterday. Um, so historic is not the counterspell format. So I think modern should. Be. Yeah, I mean, I guess just, that's fair. So, you know, it, I think adding in counterspell and like making counter, you know, just like what I what what is modern the, the I remember talking about this on the Pathless Brewing is you know, like what is the identity of modern as a format? And you know, I think actually David said it best. You know, just like fetch shock, like that is that is modern, yeah, like that yeah. makes it unique. Like, Fetch Shock and Counterspell, I think, would be totally appropriate as, like, modern identity as a format. I mean, I'm going to be sad because I don't play control decks. I'm going to get my shit wrecked by Counterspell. Uh, but, you know... We... Oh, you were already getting your shit wrecked by Mana Leak and Force of Negation. Yeah, but this is going to be even worse, you know? Now it's like their Mana Leak late turn is dead, you know? Like, I'm, I have so much extra yeah, Omnath yeah. mana. I don't care about your Mana Leaks, but I do care about your Counterspells. Um, similarly, I think Force Spike would be a cute addition, and it's just it's just criminal to me that Mana Tithe is legal and Force Spike yeah, isn't. Yeah, I agree. That, that's, that's all it really is. I, I don't think it would be a particularly great card to have in the format in any direction, but I, I think it's funny, and I think it's just like one of those things that should be around. Um, Vindicate would just be an all-over sort of reasonable card yep. to have around for anyone who doesn't know it's a sorcery that is one white-black destroy target permanent. Um is that going to be completely nutso for a deck like Niv-Mizzet? I don't think no, so. No, definitely um, not. They already have Assassin's Trophy, and they really don't care about giving you the land most of the time. And they have Kaya's Guile uh, as their three-drop of choice. And Kaya's Guile does things that Vindicate cannot in a big, big, big yep. way, and it's an instant. Um, so that's a huge difference. Um, I think Dak Faden would be a safe add oh, for God. Modern and would be really, really fun. I love that yeah. card. I love it, love it, fun, love it. Fun There's for no who, Punishing Zach? Fire... Sorry? Fun for who? Fun for uh, everyone. It's yeah. it's not. I don't. I don't. It barely affects the board. First of all, unless the person's playing artifacts. Um, Nobody's playing when artifacts. You, yeah. No. Don't. Right. I mean. I mean. I mean. People are playing artifacts, but not. Um, I mean. What's what's you know? Yeah. It's going to give the blue red deck game against Hammer Time if Hammer Time is playing at sorcery speed. But, like, come on, that's not... I'm going to cast deck Faden against you. I'm going to steal your Bolas' Citadel, Zach. Then what are you going to do? Well, I, I, where, where did I get a Bolas' Citadel from? I didn't put it in my 75. <laughs> I gave it to you. Oh, there you go. Um, Goblin Sharpshooter is a card yes. that I would love to have. I think it's probably not a good idea. I just love that card. The Onslaught art is phenomenal. 
Um, and it's super, super fun to play with, uh, although it is kind of a, a bear to play it online because you get these untapped triggers every time a creature dies. So for anyone who doesn't know, oh, it's uh, a yeah. two and a red for a 1-1. One, one. Goblin uh, doesn't untap as normal, taps to deal one damage to any target, and untaps whenever a creature dies. Any creature. Um, yeah, any creature. So that's your side and your opponent. So Goblin Sharpshooter, as per its name, will clear out all of your opponent's one toughness creatures. Just um, but then if you have goblins you can sacrifice, all of a sudden you can kill some of their two toughness creatures. All of a sudden every creature you have that dies deals one damage wherever you want it to. Um, then you pair him up with Pashalik Mons or Sling Gang Lieutenant oh, or Lord. Siege Gang Commander, or and it goes totally nuts. And, of course, because I was talking about Goblin Sharpshooter, that got my brain to, of course, Patriarch's Bidding. Um, Goblin Bidding was a standard deck from the Onslaught era that's just awesome. So Patriarch's Bidding is three black-black sorcery. Choose, uh, I think it's each player chooses a creature type, and they return all creatures of that type from their graveyard to the battlefield. Um, obviously, they use this with a ton of goblins, with the Sharpshooter, with the Skirk Prospector, with the uh, Siege Gang Commander to generate mana, deal damage to your opponent, sacrifice all the goblins doing so, and then bring them all back and do it over again and sort of combo kill your opponent on the sort of mid-game. Um, so, you know, um, most of the Onslaught goblin staples, and Onslaught is one of the most powerful blocks for goblins, have been put into Modern, um, but uh, Sharpshooter hasn't and Bidding hasn't. But Bidding would just be kind of a cool brew round card for lots of different tribes. Um, I think there would maybe be some in the elves' sideboard sometimes because they could catapult up to enough mana after you wrath them to bring back a huge board with... Um, they've, they've got the elf that drains. Um, so that'd be fun. So the second half of that question was how, how do we feel about Shardless Agent and Orcish Lumberjack? Um, for me, Shardless Agent seems pretty good i would definitely put it into a wurza shell three mana for a two two body that likely flips another artifact possibly a combo piece onto the board sounds pretty sick um in general i think it's going to be good in any shell that wants to just flood the board with cheap stuff uh it opens up new opportunities to cast suspend spells um you know lotus bloom mox tantalite crashing footfalls all that that sort of stuff so i would be pretty hyped to see it but i could see it just kind of going into a bunch of degenerate stuff and i mean it it's cascade right like cascade spells are generally not played right now probably because most of them aren't that good um but then suddenly when people bust out the cascade it's like it's pretty pretty busted right like nobody really wants to stare down a bloodbraid elf and bloodbraid elf is like only okay i think because it's four mana and two colors that yeah, I, I don't know. That aren't it, super scary, you know, like red green. Yeah. <laughs> red green kind of needs the blood braid elf. Like if you cut blood yeah. braid elf from uh, Gruel mid range, it would be a much worse deck. It really would. I mean that 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 card is an unbelievable powerhouse in that deck. And same with Jund. I mean it's just the proactive two for one that those deck need those decks need to compete in modern. And like half um, the time they flip a mana elf or a Utopia sprawl, and it's like, oh, all right, well, congrats on your four mana three yeah. haste. Fatal push with no creatures in play other uh -huh. than their theirs. Or if you're like no. me, it's always Colligan's Commander Liliana of the Veil. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, when I'm when I'm playing against them, it's always the worst case scenario. 
Again, I had screenshots of playing against Grawl midrange where they flipped um, triple bone, bone crusher bone crusher giant off of their blood braids three turns in a row. <laughs> oh, uh, as for the orcish lumberjack, I don't know. So I think a lot of this is colored by my current um, feelings on modern, which is that prowess is everywhere, but. A 1-1 that enters the battlefield and does nothing and can die to a lava dart seems pretty fragile. That said, the ability is pretty busted. Turns out eating a land to make three mana is really good. Uh, so I don't know. It seems really vulnerable, which which means maybe it's okay. But I also don't... I mean, it's not doing anything fair. I mean, so... I definitely agree with the vulnerability part, but I do want to mention that unlike other things, Orcish Lumberjack only costs one mana. So if you Orcish Lumberjack and they bolt it or whatever, you're both equal on cards and you're both equal on like, you know, tempo essentially. You spent one mana and, and one card and they spent one mana and one card. Whereas, you know, something yep. like Lotus Cobra or like you pay two mana for it or like Bob, you, play two man you pay two mana for a two one and then they bolt it. You know, they've actually gotten up, you know, one mana resource on you as they spent one mana to deal with your two mana. So being a one drop in this thing actually helps, uh, you know, it definitely, it dies to removal, but you, there's no, in modern, you know, it's almost kind of like a mana vault. Like we, there's not really been any other card like this that enables you to have five mana on turn two that's ever existed in modern. And yeah, sure, you know, it is fragile and it dies to bolts, but if they don't have the bolt, if you're facing something that doesn't play your, like, you know, in my decks, I'm going to be terrified if I don't have a red and sexy turn one lumberjack on the other side, because, you know, like, Turn two, like the five mana Chandra that pluses to exile three cards and cast them all. Uh, turn two Nissa. I mean, you lose the land for Nissa, but also you kind of gain it back because you're now doubling your mana. I get, you know, I mean, there's probably a whole bunch of other busted things you could do. Uh, you know, just even like turn two, like it would just open up turn two Karn that much more. And then you could even like next turn, you could then you'd still have five mana. If you had another land drop, so you could like turn two Karn, like grab something, then turn three, just like wish for something huge. It's just. Yeah. I mean, it. I don't know. I I, did, I think those are all fair points, but okay. So let's say we go for a turn two Nissa, and it just gets you know mana leaked, spell pierced, or whatever. Like now you have no lands and nothing. I I mean obviously we're both. I I think. I think that it uh, the the. You don't have to, you know. If my opponent has two mana up, I'm definitely not going to sacrifice a forest <laughs> to try and drop a bomb unless you know I've got some kind of thing. The other thing too is like you could go you could have a veil backup too so you could just cast a four drop with veil like turn to karn with veil backup it's pretty disgusting yeah that's fair that's fair yeah like I, it seems like a very swingy card for sure yeah i mean it i don't think in the i don't think it should be printed just because like it's no you know it's kind of like simian spirit guide no one with good intentions is going to put four orcish lumberjack in their deck you put orcish lumberjack yeah. because you're ready to be a dgen which is you know not like you know you need some dgens out there but it'll be like another neo brand type thing where instead of having needing a force you like you might need a bolt which is once again not the worst but i can't see any fun games ever resulting from like an orcish lumberjack on one side of the field like one person's gonna be happy and one person's gonna be sad and it's gonna change depending <laughs> who has the answer tell you it fits in the bolus's citadel deck there you go there's your way to go up on mana i accept you can't cast the <laughs> citadel <laughs> Nope, but that's okay because you cast it with the citadel, and then you sacrifice your lands that you've already used, but it, so that you can go up on mana to use your chromatic stars to bounce more land off the top of your deck. Somehow you're giving it haste, but you know I like these ideas. We can. Sure, sure. 
A little, little bit more tweaking. Yeah. Hopefully we'll never have to I, do I this. Think, I think the Lumberjack is just a reasonable include because this is sort of a one-card version of what Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl does, except that you're constantly going down on resources for it. So the cards that answer Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl answer it just fine, and the advantage you're getting isn't that much better than those. Now, obviously, you're getting it on a single card, but you're getting it on a single card that costs you resources, so I think it's fine. I mean, I, I don't think it's a... I mean, but great addition, but uh, it, that maybe that makes it a great addition. The fact that it's not objectionable and and someone is gonna have fun with it. But the thing is that like it's better. I think it would be more powerful than sprawl uh, than sprawl arbor elf because sprawl, sprawl arbor elf only gains two mana, but this actually gets you up three. Which once again, you I agree, you lose a resource. It's bad, but like you can still wait. You give me this funny. You can still it sacks to give right three red or three green. Right, and you can tap the land before I end right. No, on turn two with Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl, you end up with um, five total mana. No, because you cast the Sprawl on the, the other land, you tap it, you untap it with the Arbor Elf. Oh, yeah, yeah, again, sorry, so you, you, you get the four, four that turn. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, but th um, this gives you but that's five. But that's, that's what you get from the Lumberjack, right? No, Lumberjack gives you five, because on turn two, you cast it, uh, Yeah. turn one, turn oh, two, sure. you play your yeah. second Yeah, I mean, land. you're getting one more, but you're losing the resource permanently. Right. I mean, but... I don't know. I don't think it's... I think the fact that we're having a, an actual like uh, discussion about it here right now is pretty indicative of the fact that it, it might be safe, because there there is certainly a lot of counterplay to it, but it yeah. also has very high potential for upside, so... Yeah, I mean, it's just like... like I'm not saying it's going to be busted. I'm just saying it's like one of those cards where it will be very unlikely that... I, that one at least one of the two players will not be happy depending what it does you know either you'll be sad because you blew up your board for nothing or they'll be sad because you just smashed your opponent very quickly yeah i do like the idea that this um this you know this makes my soul tithe uh playable so so soul tithe is one and a white for an enchantment and you enchant uh and well enchant a permanent and uh on your upkeep you must pay uh, X where X is equal to the um, mana value of that permanent. So, you know, they uh, they lumberjack, they get out their Nyssa, and on your turn you slam down that soul tithe on them and they don't have their five mana to pay for the Nyssa next turn and they got to sacrifice it and they're down a land. Got them. There you go. Genius. Flawless. Never will fail. Ever. I think, uh, Zach, if you could maybe share with us uh, one of the highlights of your best-selling book, uh, it's, uh, I, think, I think we're in the coda here. Oh, yeah. Well, this is a little self-affirmation exercise. It's very important for uh, total, true mental health. It's very important. It's Bumps and Dumps, baby! So this is a section for anyone who's new. Or we just talk in closing, sort of get a load off your chest, a load on your chest, whatever you want to do with loads. Um, you uh, just mention some things that you're happy about. That's what you're giving bumps to. Throw some things in the dumpster. That's what we're giving dumps to. Uh, once again, big bumps to the Strixhaven um, limited format. Um, bumps to the finally seems to be settling into warm weather uh, situation we've got going on here. It was suddenly cold a few days back. We had a cold snap that involved snow, some the hell how, um, where it was, uh, it had been like 
uh, let's see, American. Uh, it had been like in the mid-60s the day before, and then it went down and snowed, and then it bounced back a couple days later. So now we're up into the 60s and 70s, and, and it's uh, looking finally like it's going to stabilize and have some nice, beautiful, warm weather for us. And nice. And uh, feeling good. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, bumps to a uh, new-ish streamer and a um, friend of mine, uh, Liz, Lizzie Harms, um, who I have to look up exactly what her Twitch handle is, but uh, she's been uh, playing a bunch of limited uh, Strixhaven stuff. It's been a good place for me to uh, sort of learn about some limited from um, uh, someone who plays more of it than I do. Uh, this is a person I knew from playing uh, Tournament Magic in paper, a 13-year-old Pro Tour competitor who's now, I think, 17 or 18, um, but uh, just just absolutely going to crush it as soon as she decides to pick up streaming in a more significant way. So uh, big bumps to you out there, Lizzie, and I'll uh, try to get the, the correct link for her stream in the episode notes. Yeah, let's see. Uh, definitely bumps to just flowering plants in general. You know, like cherry blossoms included, they're beautiful, but especially this time in Portland, there's just a whole bunch of, you know, like the landscaping and houses is really nice. Everyone seems pretty, pretty uh, conscious about it. So just, you know, you walk the dog and there's bushes that are bloom, there's trees that are in bloom, you know, cherry blossoms, just magnolias, you know, just, just beautiful. It's just very refreshing to see all the beautiful colors and, you know, smell the fresh air and just get, you walk this one tree get a huge beautiful whiff of flowers like you know jasmine those sorts of scents it just I, you know i think spring is i used to think that summer was my favorite season but it might actually be spring just because you know all the new blooms and the new growth and then you know like spring leads into summer and summer is you know just like the warm weather that i love but you know you gotta, gotta go through spring first uh so yeah i think that's probably all i've got you know it's been pretty it's been pretty chill you know just surviving doing well doing well enough and don't really you know don't really have any dumps uh maybe next week you know maybe something will go wrong uh, but for now everything seems to be going pretty well you know uh give bumps to alternative protein sources i i just tried these uh they're like fungus protein sausages fungus um, protein also yeah, I'm also gonna give dumps to alternative protein sources. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm uh. not gonna name names here, but the um, the sausages were not very good. Uh, but at, at the same time, I appreciate the effort that is going into trying to reduce the carbon footprint of animal protein and things like that, and try and provide more sustainable ways to fuel our bodies. So uh, I think that's really cool. Um, I do think that, you know, looking in at fungus is, is a great way to go. It puts us closer to the um, dystopian, utopian uh, sci-fi future that I envision. And, um, you know, in general, uh, I, I think it, it's good to be exploring all of these new avenues. I just wish that it tasted a little bit better. <laughs> Whatever you... How's the soiling... Soylent Green coming along, Jake. Yeah, I, I was about to say, whatever you do, don't eat the Soylent. Or drink it. Uh, I have not yeah. tried that. I, I have not tried that. I think Soylent is probably <laughs> fine, but there's a, a... Was it a movie? There's a very popular movie that has... Soylent so Green, yeah. yeah, the famous sci-fi movie. Yeah, yeah, where the secret ingredient was people. Although I don't quite know right. why... Like you're, I think the 
the movie came out before the company that like makes the Soylent stuff, so I'm it's very pretty, much so pretty gutsy to you know name your name your company and your product <laughs> after something. Have you you know one... maybe they didn't know? Maybe it's just a coincidence in the naming. Yeah, I it... don't think so. <laughs> it's a very unique name. I would be you know if if it's a coincidence, then then they probably need to get a new you know marketing person because who clearly well, missed yeah. that. I think that the 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 big reveal was that Soylent is people. But the whole idea is that you have this like universal food, you know, it's it's got all of the the nutrients and everything that you need to sustain life. Uh, and then it's only later revealed that that's because it's people. So, you know, genius. Uh, yeah, the the Soylent, the actual product Soylent that you can buy today, I think the whole the whole thing is like you only need this one beverage to sustain life. You get to drink all of your food for all of those people who just don't have time to like eat. eat. <laughs> uh, the the Soylent Corporation we're talking right now is in fact named after it, um, with most of the types of things being made of soy and lentils, thus the name Soylent. Ah, uh, okay. okay. I mean, and, okay. I respect that's a little bit more clever. They didn't just copy it. It's like Soylent works for soy and lentils. I, I, I buy it. And and said that they chose the name with its morbid associations to pique curiosity and deeper investigation since the name was clearly not chosen with the traditionally flashy marketing scheme in mind. So intentionally saying, wait, people are going to think this is made of people, but then they're going to look at our product. So, all right. You know. All what is it? Uh, any news is uh, good news. Any yeah. any publicity no is good publicity. That's the one. Any publicity is good publicity on the soil and green. Yeah, no news <laughs> is good news. That's I think that's the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. So yeah, that's the one I wanted. Is uh, all publicity is good publicity. So well done then. Well done them. All right. Well, I think that'll do for us for this week. Sounds good. Cool. Take care, everyone. Catch you guys later. Absolutely. And uh, make sure you guys strap yourselves in, because if you run up into me in, in the leagues, you might getting, be getting boomed or busted or obliterated, so watch out. Thanks for listening to episode 17 of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg, email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com, or join us on Discord at the link in the episode description of your podcast player or on serumvisions.podbean.com. Brian's like the heart and soul, and Jiggy's like the mind, and I'm like, I don't know, like the left. I totally picky. agree. You're... <laughs> no, Dan. Dan was just doing that because I don't think David knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs>